0: top of the table, that's exciting. Bottom of the table, that's exciting. Like That's the sort of football that you want to be And These are the pressure games that in 15, 20 years' time, I will look back on and I will remember. These are the important matches for me, not the middle table teams.
1: Subscribe to the Koi Geek podcast stream on the OTB Sports app now.
2: OTB AM. With Gillette. Put your best
3: face
1: forward with our new and improved Razors.
4: Half past seven on this Tuesday morning. You're welcome along to OTBAM. Good show lined up for you over the next couple of hours. We're going to have David Myler with us to talk football. Emmett Brennan will be with us to tell us why he should be on the Taylor Serrano undercard. And Jamie Carr is a Manchester City underage coach from Dublin who is doing an ultra marathon in the Sahara and he- rowing the Atlantic all into one year. So he'll be with us later on in the show to talk through why he's doing it. But most importantly for the duration of the show, another Northside Dubliner, Kenny Cunningham is with us. How are you, Kenny?
3: Oh, good, down. Good to be, uh, good to be back. Good to have you back.
4: Last time you were with us was in and around another really important holiday as well. You were getting very excited for Christmas. You're joining us in the aftermath of one of the most important holidays there is in, in Valentine's Day. How did you mark the big day yesterday?
3: Oh, <laughs> well, I suppose by, by uh, making a conscious decision not to uh, not to mark the occasion. Unfortunately, so yeah. Now I've never bought into the. Uh, the kind of valentine's uh gig, i must admit not for you no 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 it's a scam isn't it it's a scam.
4: <laughs> is it is was there ever any the year that you were te- tempted to be like you know what i'm going to be ta- ha- let hallmark take over
3: here i'm not exactly sure what you yeah there's pressure isn't there? It's too much pressure yeah to be honest with you and it's uh it's, it's too forced isn't it too contrived yeah, a bit like Christmas. Now I can. You never this, said that about Christmas. See, this, this is interesting.
4: <laughs> I, I mean, there was. I'm not sure. Was I surprised or or just kind of uh, interested in the fact that that you were you're a big Christmas guy? So this is why I I went this way immediately this morning. I thought that you know that you, that you well, were you, a sucker well, for a holiday. Yeah,
3: yeah. I'm surprised you said that actually. Like in terms of Christmas, I, mean, I like the Christmas period at all, right? But I wouldn't say like I said, I'm not one for bouncing around and... You know, grabbing presents and, and, and that type of thing. Not, not, not in a manic way, but yeah, no, Christmas all uh, yeah, Christmas all suffer, but now forget it, Valentine's, move on. Valentine's right at the bottom
4: of the holiday list
3: then. Oh, yeah, ahead of oh, it. yeah, yeah.
4: You know what, I think that's actually a good take. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and disagree with you. I, was nah. just, I just wasn't expecting that at all. Like, <laughs> what, what, what we often have around this time of year is uh, people doing lists about, you know, some of the greatest bromances in football and uh, oh, yeah. great strike partners together great centre back partners together if, if I had to press you for well, what's your what's the
3: difference between a, a great strike and partnership and a, a, a bromance in terms of on the pitch what would be the difference I what guess, are we talking about here I guess there is no difference to be honest with you could, could you call are it are talking about on an emotional level yeah. uh, as well as opposed to having a natural yeah let's go with that so I suppose I suppose um, so The kind of Sheringham Cole yeah united would have been a Great partnership from a football, and technical point of view. Two players really complement each other because of their different qualities. But by all accounts, never, never spoke to each other. Mm. Couldn't stand each other like. So I suppose that wouldn't be your. That's not the kind of bromance that you. That's, that's a partnership. That's a partnership. Yeah, that's not a bromance. <laughs> it's a form formal partnership. A little boy, little, what we experience most mornings where well, exa- 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 we are very much a partnership. <laughs>
4: <laughs> it, it, the, it, when I when I throw that phrase out to you, football bromance who is the other half of your number 1 football bromance Oh
3: the, Kenny, the, no, the other half yeah, of the no. Kenny Cunningham that was kind of bromance c- would happen higher up there higher up the pitch you I mean we're talking <laughs> about striking partnerships there, it's in there it's in their dna it's the center back that going on in the center of defense now isn't that not the most important place for a bromance to exist the heart of your defense no demands? no i think it weakens i think it weakens the partnership oh, really yeah. oh yeah if you let any kind of emotion or personal feelings come into a central defensive air partnership then you're you're doomed basically. Have you ever... There's got to be a little bit of disdain there. Yeah. Bit of almost a little bit of uh, hatred, I think, kind of helps in in that area of the pitch. Why? Begrudging, you know, kind of a begrudging respect, those type of uh, feelings. Best suit a central defensive partnership, I think, rather than a potential budding bromance that you're talking about it's interesting why, why, why is that the case is it because you're supposed to be the hardman at the back is that is that it you're yeah, not supposed t- to show emotion yeah I think so I think there's a little bit of that I think it's a little bit of that I think it's not a bad thing it's not a bad thing no but on a, on a serious note I think um, I always I was always fascinated with the the Sheringham one when I first uh, be, became aware of it and you think well how does that work I mean if you don't have a it can't help I'll say that it can't kind of help the partnership on the pitch no matter where it is whether it's central, central midfield fullback uh, wingers or whatever side of the pitch it is even a centre half I know we're kind of joking about it a little bit but it can't make it easier I'll say that it must make it more difficult you know what I mean if there is not a healthy respect you'll have a healthy respect from a sporting point of view but on a personal level if there's issues there you know what I mean that you don't quite hit it off can't help, I don't think. I think certainly the best partnerships kind of, you know, bloom and are at their very best. If, yeah, there's a bit of common ground there than, uh, between people in any area of the pitch, to be honest, which I think it brings out the best in those kind of uh, partnerships. Beardsley, Lineker? Partnership or bromance? A bit of a bromance, yeah. loved each other. Everyone loved Beardsley, though, at the time, wasn't it? Peter Beardsley. People wanted to play with him, not
4: just because he was great, but because he was a good man.
3: Yeah, I think so. That yeah. little uh, uh, perception as well. So yeah, it's an interesting one. I suppose that's what you try and do as a manager in, in dressing room, try and build build partnerships like and build that camaraderie thing. It's not a, it's not a big thing, it's not a new thing is it the whole dressing room, but those little individual uh, partnerships. i I was lucky It said to half played with some yeah, played with some great people uh, alongside me. But oh, if I if I don't remember playing probably wouldn't admit to her here, would I? Playing alongside Ali, but then I thought, you know, <laughs> oh, this drives me up. You <laughs> know so, what I mean? Uh, me that up I can't bear them. No, that's what I'm no, saying. I, I'm it. lucky. Yeah, because yeah, I wouldn't, I honestly say, I don't think I would have enjoyed the experience uh, as much. I think that makes, when you have your little, small little spikes of success wherever it is during the course of your career, I think, you know, when you kind of when you can share it with the dressing room and, the, and your your and your kind of peers and people alongside you you know if, if that that's a central defensive partner in, in my book yeah I think it makes it a little bit more special as opposed to yeah whatever good game yeah
4: <laughs> so tell me Kenny Cunningham Matthew Upson, bromance or partnership
3: no I got on well with uh, Matt still uh, uh, c- uh, keeping contact um, yeah no I got on got on well with Matt yeah bromance Oh, bromance is too much for a stretch. I'm, right. not, I'm not buying into I'm not buying into the bromance, but I take your point where you are. So, no, we got on well. We got on well together. Matt, Matt was kind of a bright, good thinker of the game, very smart, as well as being a very good player, good understanding of the game. So, we actually kind of complemented each other reasonably well in that respect. And the oddest thing as well, I had some really good partners in, uh, playing for it. I was lucky there. do ask l-
4: Gary Breen and Kenny Cunningham, bromance a partnership? <laughs>
3: You're not going to let it go, are you? You're not going to no, let it that's go. That's the last
4: one. That's the, yeah. I, only a two in my head. No, up, both, so, I'd have to
3: say. Both. I was lucky, yeah. Brina would have played a lot of games a week. I'd say more playing styles, right? Would be, for me, it would be more kind of playing styles, kind of would Played a few games with Richard. Richard was young coming in. Mm. Richard was great to uh, to play alongside as well. So, yeah, no, I was lucky in that respect. But I do, I must admit, uh, given that, you know, people say some people would be very, some players I played were very, this is the job, go in enemy wage you know boom go home end of you know that's it you know very kind of uh, blinkered in their approach and not overly emotional in terms of the, the job itself maybe even the people as well this is it I'm in the game for 10 15 years if I'm lucky get as much as you can ever which is right you know we're all the same but uh, yeah I think it's all it's all about the people isn't it the dressing room teammates the kind of moments that you kind of share together really that that's what kind of lasts over time, so yeah, I was lucky in that respect. Played with some uh, some good players, but also uh, some great lads who actually enjoyed being around, enjoyed our company. Mm.
4: When, when, when you look at those experiences that you mentioned there, like those positive experiences, do you draw on that when you're analysing modern day centre backs? Or has the idea of that partnership, and I'm not going to use the other word uh, again this morning, that idea of a partnership, has that changed a lot given the way the game has changed? That you're not really analysing it in
3: the same way that it would have been analysed, say when when you were playing. I'd be very surprised if that's uh, if that's changed. I mean, mm. I haven't really been around the dressing room too much the last uh, uh, number of years. But I'd be very surprised if that's the change. If I was a coach and a manager in the dressing room, I'd still be. I think I'd still be preaching the same things that I experienced when I uh, was in the dressing room, no, no matter where the partnership is on the on the pitch. But just kind of uh, good communication and just, and particularly that defensive unit. I was always a big fan of um when I played. Um, Maybe the different your defensive unit, particularly the back forward, predominantly as it was then, but treating that unit in isolation, actually spending a bit of time together. Even not so much, wee, not so much <laughs> T Towel obviously, wouldn't have been a great night out with me, but I'm talking about maybe a video analysis room, that defensive unit going in together, sitting down, looking at footage and talking amongst ourselves. you know, and I, I quite enjoy that being a kind of distinct little uh, group within the within the main group, I felt those type of things really kind of pulled the people together, like the defenders uh, together. I quite enjoyed that and I got a feeling the kind of defenders in particular uh, really bought into that. Maybe not so much, the forwards might have been a little bit more different, but yeah, so that so, so that type of thing I really kind of bought into. That. I enjoyed that. I was always kind of aware of that coming out of the game and maybe doing a bit of coaching and the kind of players uh, reacted positively to that, particularly kind of... Uh, particularly defenders, you know, just kind of really kind of pulling people, pulling people together.
4: Why do you think that is that the defenders had more of an interest in that? Because it, it is curious. Like, I mean, it's just off the top of my head. I'm not sure if this is actually uh, reflected in the numbers or not, but it does seem that even when it comes to like punditry, some of the better pundits that we see are defenders or midfielders. Like, I mean, the, the attackers, as you suggest there, maybe haven't Always proved to have the same eye that a defender would have for the game. Is is that is that the same thing? Or is yeah, it might
3: be. Yeah, yeah it important? might be a little bit simplistic. I think you're right. I think you probably the names that roll off the tongue are yeah. probably those type of players, like defensively uh, kind of uh, minded players. So what's going on in terms of the psychology there, the mindset? Not too sure. What people would say in terms of how players perceive the game, having a good eye for the game you know, generally speaking, maybe those players would be a little bit further down the pitch, like centre half kind of center midfield. Not quite sure. That might be a little bit derogatory towards maybe the forward the more kind of forward thinking uh, players. Yeah, it is an interesting it is an interesting point though, but yeah, but I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing those those little small partnerships are, uh, around the pitch are important. And I played a lot of my career fullback, you know, I wouldn't have played played all my career centre half so for me playing right back that kind of player immediately in front of me that right side of midfield you know played with 10 20 yards in front of me for most of the game was absolutely huge so good communication with, uh, with him was important so I always felt I worked in a small little unit down that side of the pitch with me right side uh midfield so communication was important relationship mm. was important uh, with those type of with those type of people so yeah I think that's a normal thing though. I don't think that's anything new on is it I think that's you know, it's not that's not even football, that's any kind of team sport, is it? You know, I'm sure the lads if I don't know, y you'd have enough gal lads here and the the Horland boys on rugby as well, in particular like those key partnerships all over the pitch. You know, rugby's probably the most prevalent one at the yeah. moment, isn't it? In terms of the six nation, but those kind of relationship with people who really operate in those same kind of areas of the pitch, I think is is absolutely huge. Probably Rugby's probably the best example, yeah. isn't what I'd imagine In terms, I'm talking about the back four unit being together, you know, being on the training pitch together, maybe doing drills together, or being in the video analysis room with that, you could magnify that tenfold, I imagine, in terms of the line-out in rugby, the uh, the tight group there, uh, scrum, you know, that type of thing, combination play, the backs, all that type of thing, I think it's important. And I think players generally kind of quite buy into that. Uh, Let's tell you what's coming up this morning, because we'll come
4: back to that in just a moment. Uh, We've got uh, David Myler with us at 10 past 8 this morning. Lots to get into with him. The Champions League just around the corner. It is back on our screens tonight. The sports page is coming your way at half past 8. The sports news coming your way at 20 to 9. And then Emmett Brennan will be with us at 10 to 9 to talk about the potential of him being on the undercard of the Katie Taylor-Amanda Serrano fight later on in this year in April. Uh, Jamie Carr will be with us at 10 past 9 to talk about those uh, endeavours that he's taking on this year. And then Tara Sullivan was reviewing the Super Bowl on last night's show We've been playing that to you at half past nine this morning. We've got John getting in touch this morning asking, What did Owen and Westmeath get up to for Valentine's? Basically, Kenny, uh, I was told to get a room with Westmead because they were so high in the power rankings. It a lovely <laughs> night, actually, myself and Westmeath, but no more details. Also, Neville and Carriger, Rio and Village on partnerships. Uh, it's his point. That's true. A lot of on screen chemistry there between uh, Neville and Carriger, Rio and Village, obviously. A good one. When you're looking at this. Um, Current Manchester United partnership it's on a lot of the back pages this morning the idea of Harry Maguire potentially being under pressure with his captaincy Uh, that's one element of this then there is the other element of this about uh, Harry Maguire the, the footballer and his place in that starting team for Manchester United does that feed in at all to the conversation we just had about how he is connected with say Luke Shaw or with Raphael Varane most importantly
3: yeah I think it is I think it is important, particularly with somebody like uh, Maguire. I, I like Maguire, I think he's got some fine qualities, but he's got his limitations and he has his uh, frailties, and he's, he'll always have them. He's not going to be able to do much about it because his frailties are in terms of his build, his, his athleticism, as something which he can't really uh, conquer. So you're absolutely right. So when you compare him to, say, like uh, Van Dyke, and you say, you say to me, who's Van Dijk's ideal partnership? I could say, well, really, anybody. It, it, it doesn't really matter. Such are his qualities; he can he can really play alongside anybody. Van Dijk's maybe not dependent in any respect on any the qualities of any one player playing alongside him. Where with McGuire it's different. That lack of kind of mobility, athleticism, means that he's he's dependent to a certain extent on the qualities of the players around him. And you're right. Uh, McGuire plays left side of centre half so he's looking at his right side of centre half predominantly on his left back around him in terms of giving him a little uh, bit of cover and giving him a dig out so when Varane first came into the team I think I don't know if you remember back first uh, couple of games I remember there was a game away at Wolves I actually thought the partnership worked uh, quite well because uh, Varane has that kind of quickness of foot that bit of athleticism kind of reads the, the game quite well McGuire is obviously very dominant in the air very good ball uh, very good ball playing. actually reads the game Uh, very well. So their first couple of games together, I thought, although I wouldn't have been a huge Maguire fan, I like Maguire, but I I always thought he might get found out because of the, for the reasons that I'm saying at the very highest uh, level um, at Manchester United. But the first couple of games, I thought they complemented each other very well. But just feel as if you're always you're always susceptible with those frailties that uh, Maguire has and we talk about you have to cover you have to cover that player sometimes you just can't do it if mm-hmm. I'm on Varane I'm, I'm operating 15 yards to the right of Harry Maguire one incisive pass on the inside of Harry Maguire well-timed running behind I don't care how quick you are as a right side of centre sometimes you just never you're just never going to get back you're going to get exposed and unfortunately for, for Maguire he's just made too many mistakes and I actually think now just confidence wise it's really affecting him. He's actually losing a little bit of confidence and a bit of self-belief. And I think that's a big issue for him now. I don't think that's easy to conquer, particularly at a club like Manchester United, a kind of goldfish bowl. Every kind of pass you make, every tackle you miss is being kind of scrutinized, particularly Manchester United at the moment. I think he's in a tough spot, Maguire. I think it's going to be difficult for him, kind of medium to long term, to kind of pull himself out of it. Because like I said... I'm sure he's a very good professional he works hard at his game and he is kind of he is a talented player for the reasons that I said the qualities that he has but there's, there's he can't do anything about that you know that kind of bit of stiffness which he has that inability to kind of change direction quickly and you know explode you know over 10-15 yards of match opposition forwards kind of uh, pace turn of speed it's not going to change so what do you do as a manager you have to compensate you have to compensate the whole team around them as they're trying to do or maybe you cut your losses and say look Show them the door, get as much money as you can and go for that kind of prototype, that kind of Van Dyke, that kind of athletic, you know, who can defend in 1v1 one, one one situations, that like top class athlete that we're seeing now more of now in those kind of central defence positions, particularly at the elite level. I presume that compensation that you mentioned there
4: isn't worth it for Manchester United given yeah. their, they want to challenge for Premier League titles
3: yeah well that's the decision and I think there was an argument I think there is there's probably still an argument there that well it is worth compensating because of the qualities which he has. he's dominant in both boxes and he and he mm. has been and there's so anything through the air early. he's a lovely footballer so are you, are you going to be the type of team are Manchester going to be the type of team I asked the centre house to get on the ball and start them playing for in, their, in their own half the pitch, you know, and be positive with their passing and then break the lines with their passing. Who centre centre half and actually travel into midfield in possession of Bob McGuire can do all that. He's proved that he's very talented uh, in that respect. And I think, generally speaking, he is a quite good uh, reader of the game. So they're the things you have to actually uh, factor up. Are those qualities strong enough to make up for maybe the, the deficiencies uh, in his game? I'm not too sure. You know, I, w- I wouldn't argue that one too strongly, personally. Does the captaincy add added pressure? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it does add it does add add pressure uh, to him. That's what I'm saying. He must be feeling it. I think it puts pressure on everybody. To be honest, it puts pressure on the on the manager. I think with your captain is different. I think if he wasn't the captain, the decision's a little bit easier. Maybe to take him out and park him for maybe one or two games. But I think it has been the case. I think I think it has been taken on one or two of occasions. It was a big decision. You know, your captain taking your captain out, um, off the pitch, and even for the for the players themselves. It's your perception, how you're perceived, then amongst the players. Yes, you're the captain, but actually, you're not. You know, you're not good enough to be on the pitch. Mm. At times like uh, that's not that's not easy to deal with, uh, as well from McGuire's point of view. So yeah, I think he's in a very sticky position. The club's struggling at the moment anyway. It's a bit of turmoil around the place, and individually he's he's struggling as well. You know, I wouldn't wouldn't put a pass. him. Mean, he looks a decent enough character. All right, like maybe to turn things around, but a new manager going in there, and I think a new manager new manager will go in. Uh, in the summer if not before and I don't think it'll be Ranyuk. I think that'll be one of his first big decisions in terms of assessing uh, Maguire and very quickly deciding is he the, uh, the player that he wants to build his team around going forward They're playing
4: Brighton at quarter past eight tonight at Old Trafford by the way so it's a triple header of football between that and the two Champions League games tonight One of the themes over the last 10 days or so of Manchester United has been going one nil up and then drawing one all what are you putting this down to? Is that a, a mental thing? Is that a is that a physical thing? Because it's been mentioned as as kind of a little bit of both, really. Ralph Franjic has has mentioned that there's been kind of a, a a confidence level. If you concede early in the second half, it affects the confidence of the players, is what he said. And then also he said that, to be honest, I don't know if we are fit enough to play that way in relation to the pressing. So he's kind of questioning the mentality and the fitness here. So it could be both, I guess.
3: Yeah, I think the mentality thing comes into it when you're on that run, a uh, run of games where you get your head in front and you're constantly being pegged back, there is that constant kind of dread when you do go ahead or when you if you do concede after that or here we go again. But that's to be honest with you, that's kind of a, a kind of a mindset a little bit more amongst the players. I think you've got to be a little bit kind of uh, stronger for uh uh you have to be stronger than that. I don't think you can put you can uh, pass that one on to the to the manager, I think you have to take responsibility for that yourself, individually, and collectively, uh, the whole team. That's more of a kind of mental toughness uh, there for me. You got to be, you got to be stronger yourself. In terms of the press, it's it's always an interest, and I think basically what the press comes down to is fitness levels. Really, if that's what he's saying, or I don't think we're quite capable of. Well, the press basically comes down to physically be, being being able to do it, make those dynamic runs, ten, fifteen, twenty yard runs constantly. You know, over a period of time, and also being set up to do it. Actually, the organisation being uh, good, and people having good pictures in terms of what they're being asked to do. Now that comes back to the manager. So I'm presuming that's been done. You know, he has this kind of reputation of being very organised, detail, and he's the one initially who pushed this kind of high press, and you know, and he's led other younger managers have kind of learned from him, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We've heard a little bit of that. So you presume the information's been passed to the, to the players, but then you've got to ask. You know, other players actually physically every player, and it 's got to be every player on as you know you know whatever you know wherever you're pressing the pitch, everybody's got to be switched on everybody's got to want to do it and actually wanting to do it generally speaking comes down to if they're actually physically capable of doing it when people say oh, he doesn't want to press for me generally if someone doesn 't want to press he's actually physically not capable of doing it i don't have too many players who could physically go and do it but decide actually i 'm not going to do it mm. physically i 'm more than capable of doing it i'm just not going to do it that doesn't happen people don't press because physically their body's telling them. I really, don't really want to do this Right. so that's, that potentially is an issue as well when you look at one or two of the players you could argue in terms of the relationship between managing and the players the respect level there a, a club like United it shouldn't happen of course you know you should die for the jersey etc and shouldn't come into who the manager is that particular time but I think the reality is that I think it is a factor in terms of the perception amongst the players the manager how good he is is he going to lead us to the promised land etc cetera, etc cetera. and if there's a little bit of uh, indecision there amongst the players looking over the match and thinking he's not I don't really rate this fella too much you've got to be on the switcher well then that's an issue as well and I think maybe there's a little bit of that bubbling to the surface as well uh, in the dressing room and so that'll that'll need to be resolved and I think it will be obviously in the in the short term between now and the now and the summer you are listening to Kenny Cunningham He's with us here in studio on
4: OTBAM, which is brought to you by Gillette. Good morning, start with Gillette, put your best face forward with their new and improved razors. Champions League is back tonight as well, Kenny. Paris Saint-Germain against Real Madrid. Razors, uh, how you
3: I thought you're making it having a dig. Having a dig there on <laughs> just like you had a dig with me coffee from the uh, the ball the barista. I did not have a dig. You made a coffee. point keeping you kept a straight face when you mentioned that earlier. I didn't realize it myself. Oh, sorry, I get it now. I was shopping I at the
4: yeah, the, yeah. I didn't even notice. Excellent coffee though, right?
3: Did not say the ball head didn't, didn't notice it's a nice coffee you're right. Yeah. out of 10 I'd give that an 8 I'm not a, not a connoisseur 8. Damien 0. Duff might be probably Damien Duff might be a better man to ask about the old barista I think he's on record as saying he yeah. could be a potential barista in the future
4: yeah you haven't had the pleasure of having a Damien Duff coffee have you?
3: I haven't but I was impressed with this place this place on a uh, uh, South, South Great Georgia Street as you know you've been in there yourself but I was, was impressed with uh, I asked the gentleman this morning I said there's a nice uh, aroma in here uh, coming off your uh, coming off your pastries do you mind me asking are they um, are they freshly prepared and he assured me that they had the dough delivered into the premises very early in the morning stroke during the night and so the the actual breads and the pastries are cooked oh. on the on the premises and displayed, and he said they, if they're not gone by two, three o'clock, he said they'll uh, half price, and they're out the door, and none of them will be re, uh, resold the following day, which is good to know. Is um, which is good to know. Good bakery makes people, a difference,
4: doesn't it? People won't be able to see it on screen, but just to the left of Kenny Cunningham, there is a white paper bag, which I assume came from said bakery.
3: Cinnamon swirl. Give us a look. That bag doesn't do it, just. So I really a look. needed to see. Really needed a see-through bag to get. You even put a little uh, serviette in there. Now look at that. That that's a glint off. That's glistening, oh, yeah. isn't it? Can you see that? Yeah, I can. Unfortunately, people can't uh, get a sense of. Uh, give us a yeah. give us a taste test there. Taste test? Ah, yeah, no, yeah, I'm yeah. not no. I'm not. No, I'm not. Gonna, I know. I know. I can. I can. Uh, I can see it. I'm enough of a connoisseur kind of. Sort of uh, Cakes and pastries over the years. So, own. like, I mean, so you you came into the office or, what, around ten past seven this morning. You're going to be here till around. Well, experience tells me not to be dependent uh, on yourself for anybody else in this office for a uh, you know a fresh cup of coffee and a selection of pastries when I walk <laughs> in the door. So, obviously, you got to take the bull by the horns to an extent. Have a fresh
4: cup of coffee. We don't have pastries all the time, but we will be open to any donations. I mean, so you're just going to not have that now. Between whenever you bought it, it'll be just sitting in the bag for two hours. Like it getting less and less
3: warm. Yeah, I don't to be honest with you, generally I wouldn't uh, don't eat too much breakfast now I'd right. take it or leave it generally speaking, but <laughs> it's all about You're once really you get a with, once you get a whiff of that, you walk in somewhere a coffee shop, it's it's tough isn't it? You've taken the pastry out of the bag, you've smelt it, you've put it back
4: in. You are yeah. is this like some sort of self torture or what's going on here? It's
3: a torture for you. It's a torture for you. Yeah. The fancy of it
4: we'll split it we'll split it after the show that's a deal thank you Kenny Um, do you know what actually before we get to Champions League you mentioned Damien Duff there Uh, are you going to go watch Shell I think you are going to go watch Shells this weekend are you? that's my intention
3: yeah that's my intention I'm looking forward to it Um, I think it's great I think there's a lot of great subplots around the league to Mm. be honest with you but I think Shells is a is a big story as well I think Damien himself the club I'm really interested in watching the, the team play how he sets up the team be great game against uh, Pats new manager there as well Tim Clancy good luck to him had a great season with the last year Uh, big chance for him I sent Pats he's done a bit of business there lost lost some uh, uh, key players over the winter which was a blow for them because I thought Pats were actually in a great position to challenge actually Rovers this year just with one or two uh, additions and then they lost a few key players Lee Desmond headed off to uh, Merdeka Robbie Benson went back up to Dundalk uh, with the manager, of course. Matty Smith there as well. Would have put him in a blow with a great season last year. Headed up to Derry. But he's done some business. Bought a few uh, uh, players in. Owen Doyle as well. Probably yeah. aware of. He's come back from England. He's got a bag full of goals out, on over there. I actually read an article. he wrote. Yeah, in the McDonald did a
4: good piece for him on Sunday. Yeah, yeah
3: I mean, it was very interesting.
4: earlier than he might have expected, which... I know there's like um, a business aspect to all of that
3: why wouldn't he getting served with pasties like this every morning it's, Why it's a not good you?
4: point like it, it, it may just be a kind of a, an outlier because as I say he does have the business at home but that could be a semi-encouraging trend for the league of lads who have made obviously they need to go make more money in England and they want to come home aren't coming home in their late 30s they're actually coming home in their, their early to mid 30s and you're yeah. just going to get a better quality player
3: No I think you're right because it's tough to lose the young upcoming talent it's always a blow when they go and we've lost a couple of them obviously over the Johnny Kenny from Sligo has gone to uh, Celtic kind of understand so Ross, uh, Ross Tierney another one from Bowes headed over to Mudderwell so it's always tough it's always disappointing to see the young talent go it's understandable and kind of good luck to them but you, you kind of want to hold on to them for his for as long as possible but you're right the cushions to blow when you have players like Owen oh, probably in his prime in 30-31 years of age nowhere near uh, being over the hill there's other issues there to play like you're saying in terms, he's got some uh, uh, business there as well he's looking to kind of set up and that's obviously a bit of a driver for him as well yeah but great to see these players coming back into the league and I I I just think that, I'd like to think the perception of the league maybe is changing a little bit now players over in England looking back towards the league where it used to be I'm going to hang on here as long as I can might get a year back at 36 so I'll get a year over there somebody will kind of give me a contract but I think I think those top four top four or five teams now for a couple of years now I just think there's been real quality within the squad and I think it's like some of the Limited success, maybe, say, we're having in, in Europe. You know, European football, don't underestimate the attraction of that for a lads. Lads who go over to England will never experience European football. That's pretty much a given, unless you're lucky enough to break through at the, at the highest level. So an opportunity to come back and compete, whether it's uh, Rovers, Derry, Dundalk, uh, Pats, Bowers, as there as they have been these clubs competing in European football the past couple of years that must be a big carrot for these yeah. players and just the professional aspect I think a lot of young managers now coming young coaches coming I've mentioned a few of them all ready got some uh, uh, good ideas very switched on very bright I think that's an attraction uh, for players as well uh, coming back and just the general just a general quality and particularly that uh, bracket that top four five clubs that we've got we've got some real talent there it's going to be it's going to be gr- I'm hoping it's going to be a, a, a great league this year and competitive I know Rovers are there to be shot at. They're a very talented squad, very kind of well managed, very well run, well structured. The whole thing—that's the kind of kind of template for everybody else. But some club, the other clubs are making a run at, which is great to see. Stephen O'Donnell going back up to Dundalk. A little bit sad to a certain extent to see that because they've done a great job at passing and they are really kind of you know look as if they're in a position to challenge. So he's going to have to try and make an impact up at Dundalk. But we up, and Derry's made some great signings, really astute signings. Up there if he can get that going up there then it doesn't take much on, does it? To you know, light the torch paper up there, get the fans out at the in the brandy well and get travelling in large numbers and get that buzz going up there. If Roddy can do that and I'm sure he will, then we're up and running. We've got a really we've got a really great league to look forward to this year. If if I had to ask you for where you think the this, this Shelburne team and Damien Duff
4: will, will finish up this year. Like They're uh, a giant's not a sleeping giant, so are they going to stay up in the, the top tier and, and make a push maybe to some of the upper reaches of the league over the next little while?
3: Yeah, if I was Damien, I wouldn't be setting too many targets. I was mm. never a big fan person myself. I was in the, uh, over the years, being in the dressing room or the training ground, the manager's putting, well, this is our target for the next six games. You know, 10 to 12 points, this is putting all the games up and this... Never really bought in for me to be honest. Which I thought, oh, if, you know, what are we doing here? To be honest, with you what happens after those six games? If you, you know, we've got six, seven points. do you, do you change the parameters yeah. then? After that, well, oh, let's build that. Forget about that. What we were talking about. Let's go again. Let's uh, let's set some new targets. You know, so I was never really won for that. So I think you would probably better boys, Damien, not to set too many targets and just look game to game, really. But I think they'll be well, what you do know on the Damien. They'll be they'll be well set up, organised. Kind of well uh, motivated, Joe Brown there as well. Looks like a good partnership they've got there. Just a bit of buzz and excitement around the club. The most difficult thing I find now is getting the actual information in terms of players in and outs mm. in the League of Orm. So used to in terms of Premiership and everything is there. Yeah, you tip. I know you know I wouldn't be the greatest anyway, like, but I can usually find me way of players. But League of Orange was only a friend of mine uh, last week. Um. Kevin Branigan going kind to of give me a mention on air. Direct me to a, a lad who has this, some kind of a site podcasting, and he actually uh, listed all of the ins and outs, which is a good thing to have because so many, so many players moving around between clubs and leaving the country, players coming in from all sorts. So that was good. So it was good to get a bit of a bit of a grip on that. So yeah, I'm looking forward. To it, I've got to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean it's. I'll probably look forward to this the start of the League of Orange season to be honest I'm more excited about this than I was the start of the Premiership season back in August I've got to be honest with you for the reasons that I'm saying and that Dublin thing North North Dublin club in the mix Own that's what you want yeah and the banks of the Tolka so that's a great story I think it's great that's great for the league as well so I can't wait can't wait to be honest with you so yeah Friday night hopefully I'll be there
4: Brilliant, brilliant, great, great. Uh, that that level of excitement is infectious, Kenny. Not going to lie. So we'll be uh, doing a bit more before Friday night, before the league kicks off. Um, speaking of things that are kicking off, it is Champions League tonight. We'll get to that in just a moment. You know what? We'll take a a quick break in just a second. Uh, we'll have David Miler with us as well in a few minutes.
3: OTB. A
1: M.
4: 5 past 8, you're welcome back to OTB AM It's brought to you by Gillette Good morning, start with Gillette Put your best face forward with their new and improved razors Champions League returns tonight Paris Saint-Germain at home to Real Madrid at 8 o'clock and then Sporting Lisbon at home to Manchester City The other fixtures this week RB Salzburg are at home to Bayern Munich tomorrow night and Inter Milan at home to Liverpool also tomorrow night and then you've got the likes of Manchester United and Chelsea in action next week So uh, four games to look forward to this week no away goals Kenny so these ah. legs uh, I guess slightly more important than they usually are I don't know I, I this kind of it, it dampens the expectation a little bit doesn't it <laughs> away goals are great
3: I, I must admit I think it's an argument both uh, both sides but um, yeah I wouldn't have uh, yeah I would have left it as it is I've got to be honest with you because mm. I just think that adds another element uh, to the the excitement level potentially on that kind of uh, I think when that second leg kind of comes around and you get into the meat of the game, you know, get into that second half, second leg, you know what I mean? And that one eye and on that all-important away goal and the, and the effect it can kind of have on the game it gets into the kind of mentality of the players as well. Does it affect tactically in terms of managers, how they're setting up and all those type of things? So for me, it was always interesting. I was always fascinated with it. It just gave the whole thing a new... Dimension. I know people would argue, oh, it encourages people not to come out and play. Courage, you know, does it does encourage people, all these type of arguments. You could argue argue around the houses, I mm. suppose. But yeah, I must admit, when it was taken out, I did my initial reaction was ah you know, or just maybe just sanitizing things a little a little, little bit little bit too much, maybe like. I just thought it was distinctive, yeah, you know, in terms of the way it goes. It was like and yeah, I suppose you could argue, this is ridiculous. It really, when you think about it kind of logically, if you bring the whole you know, whoosh, logic manual down, yeah, ma- <laughs> ma- 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 on top of it, maybe so. Yeah, but I-, I quite enjoyed it, to be honest with you. I thought yeah. it was a nice little ingredient. It was different, for sure. Yeah. We've got David Myler with
4: us. David, how are you getting on? Good morning, lads. Good to have you back in the show. Uh, does this change the dynamic then tonight, tomorrow night, these first legs that we may see these away teams going for just that little bit more?
2: No, oh, definitely. Um, I, I agree with Kenny. I think you know the the way goal brought some magic. I believe though the the biggest problem for me with it was when it went into extra time. If a team then scored, um, they hadn't changed that. But it does it does lose that little bit of spark. Like you know, if you're if you're away first, you you kind of look to you know be solid, not concede. And then at home, you look to push on. Um, it used to be always that big team was kind of home advantage, and the first leg was huge. Um, but certainly. You expect probably teams to be a bit more open um, and play a bit more football.
3: I was going to say on there, me, me and David probably wouldn't be. All right, David, how's it going? You all right, Kenny? Yeah, yeah, I'm twisted up here with me uh, headphones. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, I didn't acknowledge you when you first there uh, came on. I didn't. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose me and David. I was going to say just to talk us both down, Dave. We can't lean on too much um, Paris experience here. Me and me and David, when it comes to like ch- uh, Champions League football, home and away, and the the way goals real. I might be wrong uh-huh. David unless I'm misrepresenting uh, you here in terms of your, uh, your career you didn't, nick, Nordic, you didn't nick one of those Champions League places with Hull did you when you were oh, we on, on fire
2: there were you we got, we got Europa League uh, when we <laughs> lost the FA Cup final against Arsenal um, well I can, I, trump was-
3: that, I can trump that uh, Anglo-Italian when I was at Millwall in my early days the Anglo-Italian competition which has long been forgotten way before your uh, uh, time David I experienced a little bit of a European competition it didn't last too long to be honest which the competition was kind of skybosh because there was murders going on there was players fighting mm. up the tunnels and there was all sorts going on like probably the wrong time for the competition uh, uh, to emerge but yeah that was my only uh, that was my only sampler what was that competition oh, sorry David Anglo-Italian
4: oh that was the literal name of it yeah. go for it David
2: no Joe Kenny we um, who do we play uh, FC Loughran from Belgium yeah um, and we drew away in the first game and we came back obviously to Hull and played them um, and we drew it was one all at home uh, and we got knocked out in away goals and um, we missed a couple of great chances at the end um, so too
3: conservative when you went out too conservative well,
2: do you, you, know you were what, meant I'm to be an attacking you? midfield player you, you, <laughs> you were meant to be the one nicking the away goals here what, what, what was going on? You know there was none of that no um, we were all fresh out of water we had a couple of Spurs boys who played Champions League but the rest of us and experience you know the the lights of European football, so we're a bit nervous it,
4: it, does it feel different when you're out there david does it feel like right this is this is a bit bigger
2: yeah it does um no definitely because obviously at the same time when we were playing away we were like if we can you know nick a goal obviously it's massive being an away goal we knew that um but we were we were solid obviously if we if we managed to get through the tie we got into the group stage which would been enormous for the club and us as players at the time um you know, we, we probably didn't perform particularly well in the first half got going in the second half uh, created a couple of half chances and then Robbie Brady had a great chance um, obviously you draw there away and then you come back and you're thinking we we need to win the game and we have to try not to concede and obviously with them scoring if we threw the kitchen sink at in the last 15-20 minutes we just couldn't get the ball over the line and then we got knocked out You know, threw away goals which was obviously heartbreaking so like, have that experience of playing in, in the Europa League group stage would have been you know, incredible but it wasn't to be lads
3: I can't believe you shoved Rob, Robbie Brady under the bus there to be honest <laughs> with you he had a setter do that he Kenny, missed in the, in the away leg cost us what, the whole what,
2: toy do what, Kenny, you, you know you me know me. it's like I'll, I'll go one more Tom Huddleston missed two great chances in the home leg um, albeit one was cleared off the line but someone with his ability he's striking the ball, you'd expect him to score but
3: you oh, he's done it again. I thought he was going to give him a dig out. He's pushed <laughs> him back under the bus. He's pulled him out from under the bus and then he's thrown him back under again.
2: <laughs> hey, hey, oh, what's thinking this media world. You have to be honest. and um, can't beat around the bush and protect people.
3: Oh, there, out there, it's harsh.
4: It's a, it's, um, a decent whole team. Just looking at it here uh, Like I mean it, Harry Harry Maguire was there uh, As well obviously So I haven't are, we go, are
2: we going Are we going on no, that road now Are we going to move on to United And go down the? <laughs> Harry well, Road Let's stick on the whole Let's no, stick but, on Sorry this is, is, of, this, is, this is whole version of, superstar.
3: of Harry You're right, right. Oh, A lot of superstars A lot of big egos And that's room. When David was there You're absolutely do you want, right Do you know what, Present company do you inclu- Included or exclude I don't know whether You'd exclude <laughs> the company Or include it High wages High wages you definitely include David In that Definitely include him In that Absolutely
2: but going back to that time though obviously we we'd Andy Robertson, Harry Maguire, whatever yeah. they were young lads um, like Harry didn't speak much, Robo certainly didn't speak for the opening four months um, and kind of the bubbly character you see now at Liverpool um, he was like, he came out of his shell after about five months, but they didn't speak a lot in the early days, there was no egos in that change room um, we were just a great bunch of lads um, we were very fortunate I know, Kenny, you'll, you'll see the same throughout your career. You, meet, you kind of are in a changing room. And I still speak to the majority of the lads today and they all miss that changing room because we ironed out a lot of problems ourselves. Um, there was never really... It was only when it became a serious incident, a serious matter, that the manager got involved. So, you know, we policed our own changing room. And I'm very fortunate with that changing room around the 14, 15, 16 seasons with great lads who, you know, knew what was right. Um, and we punished lads who stepped out of order if they were late. Um if they weren't pulling up in training, weren't pulling themselves up in games. Um, we did it all ourselves.
3: What about players who spend too much time on their video games rather than being on the training <laughs> walking working on their game?
2: They, do what, Kenny, they, I never players they, did
3: do they get pulled up, those players were I I I never, back I cave never wouldn't come out their
2: back cave. <laughs> <laughs> I never missed training for video games. I only I only ever played my downtime. Are you, hey, are, you you know are you good at Pac-Man you're-
3: David I, I mean <laughs> I know these modern games obviously you're up there you're kind of second in the world or wherever you are but you know the old school games it's hard, you know Pac-Man oh. and uh, Space Invaders how are you on the Space Invaders that, that's what I'm more interested well, in well technology
2: has advanced since, since the early 90s Kenny um, I do I do like Pac-Man um, I haven't played much of Space Invaders but at the same time you know yourself the, the culture you first when you first grew up a lot of lads were out drinking uh, gambling all that a lot of our lads played video games and kept us away from that side of it so I had a drink you know,
3: like, I had, I had a drink while you are playing video games and I had a bet on the <laughs> I had, I had a bet on the video game who was going to win <laughs> just because you went in the bookies David just because you went in the bookies oh, no oh, they're
2: not oh, oh.
3: David, do you mind me asking you? Sorry, own no you know, it. It's interesting. There, we were talking about Harry Maguire actually at the start of the show. I don't know if you were listening. You probably weren't. Probably had no interest in listening to the show before you before he came on, <laughs> but. Uh, how? What do you think his position there at the moment? We were just talking about I think he's a bit of a sticky wicket there, to be honest with you. You'll know his mm-hmm. qualities better than me in terms of, you know, we're speaking about how dominant he is in terms of the air. Yeah, lovely footballer. He's the game well. But just where he's compromised a little bit, David, in terms of his athleticism, you know, his kind of um, mobility, that kind of speed, which he has, which has been getting more exposed, I suppose, over the last mm-hmm. year. And he seems to be surfing a little bit in terms of confidence. I look him at the moment, I think, new manager coming in, it might be the case where he might get actually get shown the door. That might seem a little bit harsh, but in terms of kind of uh, rejuvenating the squad, particularly a club like Manchester United, you look at the type of centre halves which you need. The modern day centre half, in terms of, you know what I'm talking about that that uh, athlete, quick over the ground, good in one v one uh, 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 situations, that real kind of you know uh, athleticism about them. Maguire he's not in that mould, is he? He's kind of a little bit of a, a throwback. How do you see him in terms of his, his Manchester United career? Do you think he'll be there in the medium to long term? How do you see
2: it? Well, to start, you know, I was reading um, an article that Ragnick did. Um, was, it must have been an interview or whatever. And he said he's not going to, you know, strip stripping the captaincy. I think United have invested a lot of money in him. Um, I obviously think he's he's well-liked within the club. Hmm. Um with the higher ups, obviously you know, the previous managers going back to Solskjaer. Um, I think this you know they they all think um an awful lot of them. Look, if you if you look at Harry throughout his career, he's never been blessed with pace. Um like I'm not saying he's slow, but he's never been blessed with that, you know, electric pace that could get him out of danger. You look at someone like Van Dijk, he never gets done with pace. Yeah. Um think think with Harry is Harry, look, can you play there? I think Harry he does have a good reading of the game but at the moment I don't know what it is with him um, confidence seems to be, David maybe yeah, yeah, confidence is certainly a big one um, you even look at his like I, I, I've been thinking long and hard about this if you look at his performance throughout the Euros certainly like the partnerships that he had another play England played it back three at times um, which would you know would suit him massively um, but definitely he he is all over the place um, there's no two ways about it. Um, he's he's taking far too many touches on the ball. Um, his positioning is poor. He's getting caught out. Um, it's like it's, it's a lot of it's a lot of basic stuff, Kenny, that he's doing wrong. Um, and that must come down to confidence. Um, obviously, with United going through the tough time, um, they're going through. Certainly, they've got a lot of big characters there. He's meant to be the captain. He's meant to lead. Um, I know a lot of people are quick to point out maybe Bruno or Cristiano would be better suited. But then I kind of look at, the example I would look at would be, say, Liverpool with the type of character like Henderson is that he's not a superstar, but yet he's able to lead them and he's able to be the captain of them and they all look to him um, for that kind of inspiration if you look at you know at their game. So I don't see why Harry can't be captain of that team. Um, but certainly at the moment he needs to go back to the drawing board and kind of like sit down. You know, he's taken far too many touches on the ball. He doesn't move it quick enough. Um, all those kind of stuff. And, Kind of you know, we we have that old saying in football, go back to the basics where United need to start keeping clean sheets. Like you look at the the last few games they played where they go ahead at half time and then they end up conceding and they can't kick on. Like they have to we're all we're all in favour this day and age of, you know, this open modern football where you play out from the back. It's kind of the Pep Guardiola model that's coming over the last five, six years. That there's nothing wrong with being solid um and giving up. You know, giving up possession and, you know, getting into it, you know, your two banks of four, um, you know, with your ten dropping back in, probably to make it a five in midfield, where you actually say to the team, try and break us down and we'll catch you on the counter attack um, United play this kind of open expansive stuff, which just doesn't suit them. You know, Ragnes come in, he's trying to do this high pressure. We've seen with the Burnley games a prime example. First half, they're moving the ball quickly, they're creating chances, they're going after teams, but they just leave themselves so exposed. Um, so open and at the moment with confidence levels they just can't see a game through for 90 minutes yeah, so this um, is the thing
3: David so you're right in terms of that kind of high press ran you, but that'd be, that'd be uh, similar for a lot of managers now in the modern game isn't it in terms of that high press get the whole team up the pitch get your mm. two central defenders up to the halfway line but of course you'll know what you're saying there's when you get the whole team into the opposition half and you go high pressing and you commit you to a large extent you're going to detach your full backs from your centre half. Mm. you're going to have to send your full backs a little bit higher up the pitch if you're going to really commit to that kind of press. So that kind of isolates your two centre-halves, doesn't it, with a lot of space in behind, even with the kind of sweeper-keeper with a high-starting position. So this is it. This is the problem there is here with McGuire isn't it, in terms of that lack of mobility. Managers will look at him and think, have I got confidence in my left-sided centre-half to defend his area of the pitch, when we're we're high-pressing and teams are going to drop that ball in behind or down the sides of our defenders has he got that uh, uh, speed of foot and that kind of athleticism to go and defend his area of the pitch I'm not too sure he does so let me ask you this you're the new Manchester United manager you're rolling there in the summer do you keep Maguire and you build your team around him going forward or do you cut your losses and get him out the door and go and reinvest
2: Um, I would keep with him I would stick with him I definitely think he's enough Okay, he's had a tough Tough season so far this year. Um, I think he's got enough credit in the bank with United, and certainly what he's done in the past, um, mm. that he can, you know, he can come through it and play. I think Rafa Varane is an ideal partner for him, certainly with his pace and his experience. Um, like as you said, there it might be something that they need to alter. I know we talked about these, you know, attacking fullbacks. Um, you know, certainly with, you know, you'd have Luke Shaw or Telles playing on his side. Can you find a way that? If we're attacking on the right side, that the left full doesn't push on too far, you know, too far, or whatever. That you can give that added bit of cover to him. Um, but it's also look if you when you step into that, you have to obviously look at your strengths and weaknesses, and that is a massive weakness for United. You know, when they push up, if the line is going over, you know, um, the back four line is going over the halfway line. Do you do you then drop that line five yards? Um, yes, you then create that you know disconnect between the midfield and the front three. That the gaps in between for the 10 is probably um, the opposition 10 would be a lot bigger but at the same time then you're keeping the play in front of you as you well know if, you know if the ball is in front of you you're doing your job it's when you're running back towards your own goal is the problem and that's where United are struggling so it could be like a little altercation of you know certainly the back four's line could we not go as high um, seeing that even as myself as a Liverpool fan you look at Liverpool playing Burnley the other day the amount of times Burnley are getting in because of Liverpool's high line. Now, on another day, Burnley um, will punish Liverpool and they'll score three or four goals. But at the same time, Alisson makes some saves. And I know De Gea has had an incredible year. Um, but can you that's alter the, that? Yeah,
3: that's the risk and reward in the modern game, yeah. isn't it? That's what
2: managers have to kind of... Uh, but do, you, do you not feel, Kenny, though, there is this, there is this perception now that teams have to play a particular way? Like, everybody's yeah. kind of gone after... Like, Jürgen yeah, is a yeah, master yeah. at it. Jurgen's a master right at what he did with Dortmund, what he's done at Liverpool over time. That he's been able to get Liverpool's front three to press the midfield, like they're all workhorses. Certainly with Man City, um, you've seen that with Pep, with you know Barcelona, uh, Bayern Munich, and now at Manchester City that they they play this possession dominant football. But once they turn over possession, they have this thing, you know, that four, five, six seconds they have to get the ball back. And um, I think they're shaping the Premier League in terms of then everybody else I'm going to say when I say everybody else I mean the kind of top six sides who are pushing for top four trying to compete with those two teams that they're kind of following in that you look at United obviously appointing Rangnick who they say is the master of this and you know he was the one who's educated so many different managers and Tuchel and those um, who've you know learned from him but I don't think United have the personnel for it Um, I don't think those players have been shaped that way you look back really deep and hard against Sir Alex's teams United weren't as much as a dominant team. They were exceptional on the counter attack. You know, certainly in the 08, 09, you know, where you've Rooney, Ronaldo, Tevez, in terms of the speed they broke at and the players, that suits United more. And they're the personnel they have. I don't think United are cut out to, you know, dominate yeah. a team as much as say Manchester
3: City yeah, I don't think Manchester United are cut out to defend uh, full stop I take the uh, points to what you're you're saying there Dave but just the basic fundamentals in terms of defending we're talking about Maguire the kind of protection that he's getting and immediately you look to his uh, we spoke about it already on his right side of centre half and and his left back over that side of the pitch in terms of of giving him a dig out but what we haven't spoke about in terms of what's happening in front of him that kind of defensive shield in front of him Dave that kind of central midfield uh, position Mm -hmm. which you know very well and I know very well from being a, a centre half and I was the centre half who couldn't run either probably even slower uh, than Harry Maguire so I was very dependent on getting that kind of support around me so what was very important to me was that I knew that that space 10, 15 yards in front of me to his largest extent, I didn't have to worry about because I'd have two centre midfielders who'd stay in contact with me, who'd kind of shield any balls into the centre forwards, uh, feet, block off passes, and if a pass didn't get around the corner, they'd immediately recover and they'd be, they'd be uh, getting in contact with the centre forward. That was, that was huge, David, for me because then I knew I could really concentrate in terms of what was going on in behind, balls in behind, I could adjust my starting position, I'd get, I could take a couple of steps backwards and give myself an even bigger um, uh, starting position on the centre forward if a ball was played in behind because I knew that space in front of me was secure because of the positional sense and the defensive qualities of the two central midfielders. Now if we start talking about the defensive qualities of the Manchester United central midfield I can't even start the conversation to be honest with you because there isn't one, <laughs> one player there in that Manchester United squad I can hang my hat on as a central midfield and so say I trust him right. he can defend he understands the art of defending that central midfield area and I can trust him not Fred not McTominay and I like McTominay he's got some good qualities but for me he's an attacking midfield player all his qualities are uh, when he's ahead of the ball and heading towards the opposition goal Matic's legs of uh, gone? I don't know where the answer is. I mean, so it's it's a combination of things. I think you're absolutely right in terms of the qualities uh, of those Manchester United players in all areas of the pitch, centre half, centre midfield. The balance seems to be totally wrong at the moment. And the individual qualities of players, particularly that centre midfield area, Dave, you must have seen it now. It's, it seems like we've been talking about it for like. All last
4: window. All of last six window. Years. Yeah. I'd say
3: we've been talking about it. I literally can't. We probably have to go back to your talking about Tethers there. David and Ronaldo, I'd, I'd probably have to go back. I'm, I'm, str- I'm talking Nicky but I'm talking here. I'm thinking uh, Roy in that in that centre area. The pitch Phil Neville. To be fair to him, where he went. in. these players mm. who mm. understand the role, what was recorded. I'm showed a bit of defensive discipline. You're talking about Liverpool and the qualities they have, but Liverpool and central midfield have players who know how to defend. Fabinho. Now Fabinho's not the greatest athlete in the world, but he's smart. Right and he understands the position he knows where to position himself Henderson's a beast in and out possession you don't carry Henderson when you haven't got the ball He rats around the place he makes tackles he tracks runners they can play that high intensity game just Manchester United at the moment don't have those qualities in central midfield so we're talking about kind of Harry Maguire it's interesting because David's played with him well, you play central midfield uh, David mm. I mean you've got to have at least you've got to have at least one player in that central area of the pitch where you know where you commit players high up the pitch you look over your shoulder as a centre half I'm looking at centre midfield well, thank God he's there I can trust him he'll sniff out danger he'll make interceptions he'll hold people up he'll make good decisions you know he'll give us that real defensive axis who's that player in the Manchester United squad at the moment David who, give, uh, who gives you that?
2: None of them <clears throat> that's, and that's you've, you've hit the nail on the head there there's none of them um obviously i'm I'm a big fan of Mctominy, but i don 't think he understands his defensive rules um I agree with you he's probably better as kind of an eight that gets up and down yeah. and kind of pick up those positions every now, and then. but he's better coming onto the game and coming onto the ball um we've seen that in you know prime example of performance where he's got goals fred is Fred is a luxury six um he he doesn't do the nitty gritty stuff the Stuff you're talking about, where you're screening, you know the attacker. You're you know you're you're blocking those passing lanes. You're stopping balls getting in, so you might get a touch on them. You're you're causing you know upset for the uh, opposition's build up. Matic, um he's really disappointed to me. Um, huge fan of Matich all the way through. You know at Chelsea, um, I thought it, I thought he was an, like going to be an exceptional sign if you needed. But I, I agree with you. His legs are gone. He, he's not as mobile anymore. Um, like it's it, it's one of those that six player um, is crucial, and I don't think people people realise that. You know, it's it's only come to the forefront with United now, but all the best centre halves, if you look at them, they always spoke for ninety minutes to the six. And I remember my time playing as a six, whether it be you know with Sunderland, Hull, whatever, with Ireland, always had the centre half barking at you, and you're thinking, like, will you ever leave me alone? But they're putting you in a position that protects them. And it actually helps you because you're getting organised your and you're screening passing lanes. You're, you, you know where the opposition player is. You're picking up their 10. You're picking up the 9 if he drops in. But it makes their job easier and you add that bit of protection. But it also helps you. Um, like I can imagine, Kenny, you were barking orders the whole way throughout your career because you're stopping that you know supply line of the ball getting through. And United don't have that. They don't have that player who can sit in there. There's probably a case as well where we spoke about Harry's confidence and um, confidence. That you know he's probably not barking orders at Fred McTominay. Or if he is, they might not be listening to him. Um, you have to call a spade a spade. They might not respect that. Um, they're probably looking, I need to concentrate on my own performance or whatever. Like it's been it's been a huge problem going all the way back where we spoke about Pogba, could Pogba play in the sixth, but we we again highlight you know his defensive qualities. He doesn't do enough work uh, you know out of possession. Um like the biggest thing if United are serious about you know remounting the challenge for the title or pushing. You know, getting up to Liverpool and Manchester City's level, they're probably going to have to go and spend whatever it's going to be, one hundred, one hundred and twenty-five million on, on. Who would he probably be,
3: get, David? Who would he be? Your Manchester United manager again? It was your first sign in that in that position, that number six that we're talking about with those qualities. Who's out there? Who would you go and grab?
2: I think you you have to go after Declan Rice. Um, I think Declan Rice is the one. Um, I think you know, obviously, his level of performances. Obviously, Declan knows. He's also kind of doing a bit too, like well, I'm not going to say a bit too much, but he's doing a bit of everything. Um, we've seen there in the FA Cup, you know, getting forward, getting goals. He's added, he's trying to add that to his game, uh, which is nothing wrong with a six, you know, chipping him with a few goals here and there, depending on opposition. But definitely think he has. You got to remember Declan Rice played as a centre half for a large period of his uh, underage career, so I think he understands that position, and now he's stepped into the fold of his six. And if you see it as you know, in his performances of his early days at West Ham. He was very defensive minded you could see he was a centre half kind of filling in as a six and I think over the last probably two years um, he's really kicked on and he understands the role but he understands the role of both um, and I think he would be look I think he's the ideal signing for United to kind of slot in there then that allows another, like Bruno to kick on more and do even more in that you know creative aspect um, Yeah, there's also right. Kenny there's also that there's also that one is is Um, from my understanding of the position, when you play with the one, you know, say one six or you play with two sixes, the one six, when he's on his own, he looks to shield the entire back four. Right? So he's trying to obviously control two centre-halves. He's going to slot into wide areas. Your full backs go forward. He can tuck in and cover that position. When you have two, you kind of divide the pitch in half Mm -hmm. that the left side of the six will cover the left-hand side. Now, that could be a very dangerous game to play if players don't understand the situations. I've had it in my own time where I've been slotted in with a new midfield partner and you're kind of crossing lines. The distances between you are too big. You know, then at times you're on top of one another and, you know, the space is out wide. Maybe United need to go and sign that six who plays as an out-and-right six, who just yeah. controls the entire backline. His job is not to get forward. It is just to stay there, win the ball, win the ball, and give it to an argu- arguably inverted commas the better players who will go and you know create some magic who will go and create chances. Yeah. Like if 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 you look at it, if if they were to sign Declan Rice and he plays as the six and then you put Pogba and say Bruno in front of him and you say look, like Declan's obviously a confident young boy. Um, he'd probably go. Do you know what? I'll do this and then I'll I'll give the ball to you and you go and create the magic. You go create goals, score goals, whatever you want to do. But I know my role and I ain't moving from here. And then you almost form that little triangle between the two centre-halves and the six that the six then can cover into wide areas when the full backs get forward. Like Kenny, I've spoken to you several times over the years about if you look at when you Henderson I haven't spoken to you
3: the last couple of years. You haven't picked up the phone to see how it was. I know that.
2: It's not even a little
3: goodie at- text, WhatsApp message. How's things with you? Oh, oh good. <laughs> Family, well. If you nothing. Look, if, Absolutely if you nothing. At- I'm giving it all that like me, mate. Oh. Yeah, we've spoken a lot over the years.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, here, let me finish, right? But if you look at I go back to Liverpool, say so I watch an awful lot of Liverpool. Have you not right? got a signal
3: on that back of yours? Have you not got a signal on No, I don't, your phone? no, I don't. You <laughs> no, can't, the you can't phone, make the out going calls
2: now. Right, go phone on, gets turned off. Keep going, go um, on, keep going. But if you look at Liverpool, right? And I agree with you, Fabinho is an ideal six. He's six, he's one of the best in the world at it. He doesn't have a lot of pace, but he reads the game better than a lot of people yeah. do. But if you look at, right? Henderson is the one that plays on the right yeah. the tree. And he covers for Trent Alexander-Arnold an awful lot and he allows him to get forward why? because he understands his role but he also understands the tr- attacking threat that Trent brings with his assists his goals and whatever and Jürgen has found the balance and if you look at it that's why a lot of people say when Henderson doesn't play you, un- you notice there's a massive unbalance in their side yeah. and that's a huge part and at yeah. the moment United it's almost as if there are 11 individual players trying to worry about their own jobs, but they're not kind of contributing to the team together. Like, Man City are exceptional at doing it. When somebody loses possession, they all get together. They, you know, they all close up. They shorten up the pitch and they win the ball back high up in good areas. Whereas United, it was a prime example. I can't remember what game it was. Oh, and you might remember was there was that one where, you know, they had three or four players pressing individually and they just got picked up. I think it was the Liverpool one where they got clean 5-0. Hmm but they were pressing individually. Now, Kenny, you and I both know that if you press on your own, yeah. you're just going get popped off. At this level, the players are too good. You know, you have to be organized. You have to be structured. There has to be a trigger that usually comes from the nine. He's the one who starts the press, but he looks back to say, right, I'm going. This is stuff you've worked on in training yeah. that, you know, there are triggers, right? Whether it be, we're going to leave the ball, go to the left side of the centre-half. The nine is going to shape his run, to arc and wide, and then the entire team shoves him into that corner, and obviously, they look to win possession. That's a massive thing United don't have either. They're yeah, kind now, of pressing in ones and twos.
4: Can I, ju- can I just ask here, before we kind of wrap up this section of the conversation, and I know you've already touched on it, David, but just, just how mm. that differs to the best teams in Europe at the moment in terms of how they utilise their midfield and their relationship with the centre-back. Because yes, it does feel that, say, Manchester City have had two advanced eights and a number six, but it does feel as if their eights give it more of a dig out than say Pogba or Bruno would in, in, in your sort of next season idea there David and especially with Liverpool like when you factor Jordan Henderson into proceedings beside Fabinho so even if they do have that Declan Rice figure at number six do you still not need more from the likes of a Bruno and a Pogba in that midfield? No, I think
3: no
2: 100% not a silver bullet. Do, absolutely No yeah 100% Go you point. do where we, in the day and age in this modern game you can't afford to carry any player you look at the work you know Raheem Sterling does you look at the work Salah does mané does even chelsea you know there's been it's been well highlighted you know obviously with Lukaku, that he's not putting in the work in um but all the best players they put the graft in they're all covering the distances you know they're getting back into position they're getting you know they're making their team solid and that's that's a huge thing it, at the moment you know they aren't doing you know you can highlight there's been a massive thing can cristiano cristiano ronaldo press of course he can press but the idea is the structure has to be right behind the press. If Cristiano does press, you have your 8s and 10s that go with them. You've got your 7-11 and your wingers that are pushing up with them. But at, at the moment, United aren't doing that. They're a bit all over the place in terms of their pressing. And they're just getting picked off. And then, as what we touched on, then your defenders are being isolated. And at the moment, they're not dealing with situations. Um, and that's, that's a massive problem for
4: them. David, talking about recruitment, bad recruitment, Liverpool not really in that category whatsoever. I mean, if you look at the early signs of Luis Diaz, for example, it looks like he's going to be somebody who slots straight into this team. I assume you'd be quite confident of, of them progressing against a tricky Inter Milan uh, set of ties? Oh,
2: look, I'd be confident. Um, certainly, the good thing for Liverpool is the second leg is at Anfield. And we all know what Anfield's like on a European night. Yeah. Um, you know, it's obviously going to be a tough game. Um, Inter have obviously gone through massive change after winning, you know, the league title. Um, obviously, with Conte leaving. Um, but certainly Liverpool, are, are, they're in a good place. What I love to see is, you know, obviously after African Cup of Nations, you've Salas on the phone the following morning and said, look, I'm fit and available for the next game. I'm flying straight back. I don't need rest. I want to get myself back in. Of course, he's got his own individual targets with the top goal scorer. You know, he feels that Liverpool can win the Premier League. They can catch Manchester City. He feels that they can win the Champions League. Of course, then you look at Mane, obviously has that, you know, a huge week score on the win and penalty. Um, but then he's back and he's starting at the weekend. You know, that's kind of where Liverpool are you know, where Liverpool are at. Everything is kind of going in the right direction. You've seen the signing of Luis Diaz, he's been very impressive. Obviously, Harvey Elliott coming back. Um is, I think it was the other day, it was the first time that Jorgens had a full full-fit 11 um, well a full-foot squad to pick 11 from um, in a long time which is only a massive you know massive plus because the game's going to come thick and fast Liverpool will want to continue this form of Champions League they'll want to go and win it of course you know the, the nine points by City with the game in hand they'll want to win that they play City um, I think it's in April so they're massive games and obviously he needs a full-foot squad that he can rotate and you know Luis Diaz looks you know, he's the signs early on are that he'll fit straight in. He'll be like another Diogo Jota, um, that kind of player, which is obviously massive because Liverpool have never really had that backup for Mane and Salah. Now these two, like you look at Firmino, he's kind of in and out of the team when he was always a mainstay, but that's you know down to the form of Jota. So it's great to see that Liverpool do have these five six options up in the front three places. Um, obviously, competition is always healthy for us. What?
3: David, mummy la last question, you spoke about Liverpool's uh, front three. Let me talk about Liverpool's midfield three. I won't ask you who who's your preferred uh, three. You've talked about the options they have now in, in up top in the central midfield, getting players back from injury which are as well for the second half of the season. But with those these big crucial games come around, the Manchester City game in particular would look, look looking as if it's gonna be a must win game. Who's your who's your three in midfield in that kind of V shaped? Fabino, I'm guessing Mm-hmm. Uh, at the pivot, as we spoke with Jordan Henderson, that right side, today who I'm always interested in asking Liverpool supporters, who's your tournament figure? Who goes in? Who's your preference to go in alongside those two players? Who best complements them and best complements that kind of high press, high energy Liverpool style of play? I
2: would probably go with Thiago, um, just just for that um, extra bit of quality um, that he has over Henderson in terms of unlocking defences. His ability, you know, with the one twos, um, that kind of like, you know, that eye of a pass. He can see the pass. He can obviously pull off the pass. I think those three complement each other very well. Um, I think that's Liverpool's best three.
3: Yeah, I think it's interesting. Thiago is the last person I pick, to be honest with you, in Liverpool's uh, midfield, probably for the <coughs> for the reasons that you've said. I, I take your point. <laughs> well, I take your yeah. point in terms of the technical qualities. He's probably the most yeah. technical player in there. But for me, and it's interesting in terms of what we're talking about United in terms of high press, energy levels, in and kind of balancing the team. But for me, he actually unbalances Liverpool in that central midfield. His lack of his lack of speed, his lack of mobility, his lack of defensive um, astuteness for me is actually a small weakness in the Liverpool team. And I Mm. take your point. That's counteracted by the qualities which he has in possession, and that's the point. I suppose that's the interesting argument. With uh, Thiago, people will see it differently. Uh, David will look at those qualities and say, "Yeah, he gets into the team because of that." I look from the opposite point of view in terms of those defensive uh, uh, um, qualities which he which he hasn't got, and say that's why he doesn't get into my uh, Liverpool team. But I think that's a really interesting one going forward for Liverpool yeah. in terms of like the personality of the team, that high intense that high intensity play, high energy play, <coughs> which have got the, has got them this success for so long. Uh, uh, David, do they kind of veer away from that? Those Harvey, Harvey Elliott coming in, you know, he's not in the same mold as tennis, isn't he, in terms of physical specimen? athlete again, more of a technical player, more of a stylish uh, central midfield player. Maybe Courtois Jones to a certain extent as well. But just, be just, interesting on Tiago, for me.
4: just on, on Thiago, Kenny, like, do, do you agree with what Kenny is saying there, David? Or, or is he right, but you would actually just take into account those weaknesses and still start him, given mm-hmm. his teammates?
2: No, I, I agree with... <coughs> excuse me. I agree with Kenny. Um, there's been several times when Thiago has played he's gone to get the ball off the back four and he's tried to be, you know, a bit of, a bit expansive and he's he's ended up giving away the ball. Um, he's given away a couple of needless free kicks on the edge of the box, the odd penalty here and there. Um, I definitely think, you, you know, him as a six out and right, I wouldn't feel as confident as Fabinho or Henderson. Um, that's why he we're playing more advanced. I get Kenny's point. He doesn't have that tactical awareness. But... A lot of it does come down to your opposition. Um, you know, you look at Thiago. Obviously, he's had you know a wonderful career with Barcelona. Um, like, obviously, he'd been young pup playing on that side, but Bayern Munich certainly playing that six. They dominated ninety nine percent of their games in terms of possession, so it was easy for him to play. Now, I know the Premier League's are different. Like, if we look at like Liverpool going to Milan tomorrow and playing in that game, does Jurgen go with them? No, I wouldn't be surprised if Jurgen probably played. And I generally mean this; he probably played Fabinho, Henderson, and Milner and um, try to get three workhorses in there Fabinho you know, kind of sitting there like a dog owner holding the two dogs on a leash like letting them go when here there and everywhere just to create that create that work ethic that drive yeah. that you know that desire barrier yeah I know
3: what you're yes. saying
2: yeah. it's, a lot of it will come down as well um, to opposition and what you know if you're playing home or away how good like when it comes to Man City what way will Jurgen go then um, like the front three kind of pick itself you know, that's it's a lot of it is that like, but yeah. well,
3: there's good I options there, David. I will say that he's got good options yeah. there now, Klopp, in terms of that <clears throat> central midfield and forward there. he's players yeah. with different qualities. You know what I mean? We're talking, you know, technical abilities, great athletes. And I think David's right. A, a lot of them, some of them might come down to in terms of quality opposition. You know, what's their strength? Well, he might actually think I need that little bit more creative edge in central midfield against this. In- I, I'm a big fan of this inter, um, inter Milan team, particularly defensively. I think they're back three. If you can get Bestoni. uh. De Vré and Trini are on the pitch—that's as good a defensive uh, unit as you're going to get across Europe. So you might have a look at that and a bit of screen they have in front. Of them to think, you know, I le- need that little bit more of a creative edge <coughs> in that central area of the pitch, and that might get Thiago the nod yeah. uh, for the game. You know, it could come down to that.
4: And the thing is, I mean, the, as David pointed out there as well, the, the bill of health is looking good for Liverpool as well at a really important time of the season, fighting on two fronts. Though I don't think anybody, any Liverpool fan, is giving up on the chase on Manchester City just yet either. Uh, David, great chat this morning. Thanks, million for hopping on the call.
3: Don't, Here's be, don't be a stranger, David. You got me number Hey, uh, Kenny, Kenny, Kenny you, got me you lost it. You've lost no, it. No, Kenny, can, yeah, no, I got it. On. Get now to yeah, forward I was just, on. I
2: was talking to Delaney the other day. He said you were you're ringing him all the time, you know oh, what yeah. I mean? You've John just, Delaney. Just John Delaney Oh we've got we've, we've got a scoop <laughs> here oh. we've got a scoop. No, Damien Delaney. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> he says Damien says you're always on to a pestering him. He's a
3: good lad, Dan. He drops the occasional text, Damien. Uh, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> you good. dropped
4: the more than occasional yeah, text. Lad, nice
3: lad, Damien. Nice lad. I like, I like Damien.
4: Yeah, yeah. Draws up from Cork.
3: David, great Aww. stuff.
4: Cheers. Come Take on, care. I'll
2: see you later. On by bye uh,
4: Plenty of reaction to that chat there. Really good breakdown of the midfield and the defence above Manchester United and Liverpool. In Bodwe Trust 13 says no mention of the fact that De Gea simply doesn't play as a sweeper-keeper and refuses to come off his line. Maybe uh, definitely an element of that in the conversation here as well. Mark says doubt there will be a queue lining up to sign Maguire. So not easy to just get rid of him, which is definitely a fair point. They'll want to get a bit of uh, return on their investment. Seamus says Declan Rice is too expensive. Get Yuri Tielemans. The contract is running down. Uh, Stephen says <laughs> the volume of base yeah, Kenny made by banging the table earlier. We thought we hit a badger on the road, LOL. Uh, so did I, Stephen. I thought we hit a badger on the road here as well. But good good to hit a bit of base for us. One other, we'll, there's a lot of different um, questions here, but one I wanted to just put to you from Dublin Souls. Does Kenny do Wordle? He let today's one slip out. It sounded very
3: deliberate. Sorry, what?
4: (laughs) I think that's your answer. Uh, You you, have you heard of Wordle? No. So Wordle is a word game, which is a is a daily game where every day you get the opportunity to guess a new five letter word. Uh, It has to be a word. It has to be a word. It's not made up word. No, it's always a real word.
3: So like count, bit of a countdown thing, jumble letters.
4: So you have six attempts to get the word. And when you type in a word...
3: Oh, oh, and I'm like... I'm overcooking in me brains. I, I, so
4: am I. I've, I've gone, it will tell you whether or not the letter is correct whether or not it's in the right place or whether or not it's totally wrong and then you've got six attempts to get it that's, <laughs> that's the succinct and very uh, not at all uh, not at all clear Got to know your play, to as you're word. saying football on you got to know your players yeah I really do the answer to your question uh, dear listener is no Kenny does not play Wordle and uh, he accidentally let this morning's one uh, slip out uh, let's have a look at the sports pages this morning otbsports.com you might get a look at it in a second we can have a look at it right now Minister gives caseman Park assurances despite stadia funding cuts Pat Nevin talking about the handling of the Kurt Zuma situation they did the right thing for themselves is what he says r- regards to West Ham United Maggie Farrelly to make Allianz Football League history by refereeing a game this weekend and James Lowe is back in training which is good news for Leinster and of course good news for Ireland and Camilla Valieva cleared to compete at Winter Games and that is one of the main stories on a lot of the the UK back pages anyway a mess in the making is the headline on the back of the Guardian Valieva skates on for now but why did it come to this that's Sean Ingle's piece leading the way there Uh, the day the Olympics died is how the Daily Telegraph framed it a little bit more dramatic than the Guardian to say the least Uh, furious Valieva is cleared to compete ...after failed drugs tests, We might do something a little bit more on that as uh, the week progresses. Uh, the Irish Times leads with Owen Doyle's column this morning on the Rugby at the Weekend. Ireland contributed massively to the tournament's best match so far. And Jerry Thornley says Ireland display shows how far this team has travelled. At the back of the London Times is Fury at drug cheat reprieve. Russian skater 15 cleared to compete today... The back of the Irish sun then is Rangxiety, Ralph says stars scared to commit to my pressing game, which is uh, one way of putting it for sure. Uh, The back page of the mirror is improve or else Raniak admits Skipper Maguire is out of form and claims he's struggling to adapt to a back four. The Irish Daily Star is keep calm and Harry on, Maguire under pressure but Ralph won't budge. Then a couple of other ones. Talking Heads is the back, the headline on the back of the Irish Daily Mail. Faltering United, uh, faltering United players refer to psychologists. Every time Kenny Cunningham is in, Sasha Lenza, the Manchester United psychologist, gets brought up. It seems that they've been talking about working with this guy for a long time, but he is going to be working with him this week, according to those reports. Henry Shefflin, though, is the front of the Irish Examiner sports section. All the right moves. That's based on a Liam Sheedy column that says, The evidence is suggesting that Henry has woken a sleeping giant. The Herald goes with Ranyak as well. We have Therese's level. United boss admits to fourth place in league as best they can hope for as uh, Bermond's second half collapses. And then finally, there's the Irish Independent and they go with the GEA and they're going to stick with cashless turnstiles despite glitch. Only minuscule numbers impacted by technical error at hurling league games. Uh, to run and Armat to learn fate is Colin Keyes' story here, but we're hearing reports this morning that the bans have been upheld. And there's a photograph there of Lionel Messi preparing to face his old foes, which are of course Real Madrid. Right. It is eight forty eight. You're with us here on OTBAM, and I'm delighted to welcome Olympian Emmett Brennan to the show. Emmett, how are you getting on?
1: I'm good. Yeah. Um, I'm just training away, and am as I said, I'm hoping for that Katie show. So um, I've started camping and training as if I'm going to be on the show, although I haven't heard any word yet. Brilliant. So for people
4: who aren't fully aware of the story here I'm sure everybody would have seen Emmett fight in Tokyo last summer and then I guess the decision has essentially been made to go professional at this point Emmett and you're eyeing up your professional debut to be on the undercard of the Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano fight
1: Yeah like I'm 99% sure I'm going to go pro Um, I'm suited to professional boxing like the Olympics is obviously the dream, but it's never suited to amateur boxing. It's a lot faster pace, whereas um, prof- the professional game is a little bit slower and it's uh, it suited more to my style. But like, there'd be no better debut than the Kate Taylor show. And for me, like even looking from the outside, it just makes perfect sense. Um, there's going to be a huge crowd of travelling Norris fans. Um and I, as I said, I have that good, exciting professional style. It, it makes perfect sense to have me on the show.
4: Where are the talks at at the moment then?
1: Um, so there hasn't really been much. I got in contact myself with Matchroom yesterday um, via email. So look, they obviously know they've seen me stuff online. Um, they do know about it. So I'm just waiting to hear back from them.
4: Have you been in touch with Matchroom in the past. Is it just did you just go onto the website, just get an email and just just go at it off your own bat sort of thing, or or do you think that you've got an in there that they are listening to what you're
1: saying? Um I was actually I was supposed to go over so Matchroom have a a, a gym in London. I was supposed to go and train there just before Christmas. Um but things just didn't didn't work out in terms of I was coming back from a shoulder injury. It wasn't the right meal to go over while I wasn't in the best condition so I never went over so I, they definitely don't know about me um, it's just just trying to get the word out there and trying to get a little bit of um, a little bit of social media presence behind it and like as I said like from the outside to me anyway it just makes perfect sense
4: what would your message be to Eddie Hearn then if he was weighing up who to pick for his undercard like
1: there is a big Irish crowd going over and um, they're going to be. I would imagine the majority of the ticker sales that traveling across the Atlantic Ocean. Like they've asked for me to be on the show, so it's up to, it's up to him whether he listens or that. Um, I think you will because I'm. I'm not saying put me on the show because I'm an Olympian. I offer a lot more than that. Like going forward, I'm actually looking to move to New York, um, so that's where I'm going to be based myself. I'm going to be based myself there with a full Irish team behind me as a managers, uh, trainers. It's all going to be Irish. Um, so the vision for me is to have the whole Irish-American community on the east coast of America behind me. Um, so it's not just, I'm an Olympian, put me on your show. Mm. It's like I can actually offer you something going forward after the show.
4: Just for a bit of background then, Emmett, when you say that they've asked for you to be on the show, who, who are you referring to there?
1: So there's been a big social media um I say outcry over the last few days. Loads of people looking for me to be on the show and then I've I've loads of contacts in New York of a lot of my friends um live in New York. They are dying to get behind someone from Ireland over there in terms of boxing because there hasn't there's been people coming and going and fighting on the East Coast, but there hasn't been someone really living there. And actually being in the Irish community day to day, um, from what I can gather from my friends in New York, they are dying to get behind some.
4: And I guess the context of the main fight in the bill is somebody who came from the Olympic setup and has obviously made an unbelievable career for herself in the professional ranks as well. There is, I guess, a, a certain similarity to, to the storylines.
1: Yeah, there's a there is a certain similarity. Um I'm told you, Katie would have gone professional at a similar age mm. to myself. She came off the back of Rio, I'm coming off the back of Tokyo. Um so there is similarities there. Obviously Katie has a lot more exposure and she's a lot more well known. Um but there is similarities. We both have a similar fighting style as well, where we're we're in exciting fights, we're coming forward and we're looking to put on the show for the fans. So there definitely is a lot of uh, similarities there. Um, How- and I think like in, in terms of personality as well, um, we come across, well, we're both humble. We both come from a bo- good background. Um, yeah, so there is a lot of similarities.
4: How strange is it training for a fight that you're not sure will happen?
1: Um, look, I'm going to have to train it anyway. It's not like yeah. I'm not going to be trying. Um, it just, I suppose... It gives me a goal and a vision. Like, I'm all in on this. I believe it's going to happen. Um, So that's what I've said at my camp. Like, I don't want to. Anything could happen. They mightn't put me on the show. Someone could get COVID. Someone could get injured. And they might need me on the show. Do you get me? Like, so Yeah. I will be training as if I'm fighting on that. Even if I don't get the go ahead for it, I'm still going to be looking towards that because professional boxing, anything can happen.
4: To to what extent is this uh, a bit of a high wire act, Emmett, in terms of money and in terms of finances? Because obviously your your story into Tokyo was well known that you took out a credit union loan to keep the dream alive. You did qualify for for the Games in June and the dream did eventually materialise in it and it paid off Mm -hmm. and you got to go to Tokyo. And I think everybody became so magnetised towards your story at that point. I guess what I'm, trying, what I'm wondering now is that essentially from saying that you're 99% professional, does that mean you're not entitled to the amateur boxing funding and essentially you need to find a new stream of income pretty soon?
1: No, I am on funding. I'm right. still, I've got me funding for the next year. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm guaranteed that funding because okay. I, I got to the Olympics. Um, but like I haven't closed the door on amateur boxing in case something does go wrong if I try to go professional. Um, it's just that My style of boxing isn't suited to amateur boxing. Um, The way I would describe it is you have running, you have 100 metres and you have a marathon. Um, Usain Bolt is the best 100 metres in the world, but you wouldn't be great over a marathon distance. Professional boxing to me is like a marathon, where amateur boxing is like a sprint, and I'm suited to the marathon distance and not the sprint distance. Um, So that's where I'm coming from about going professional do I go after the Olympics again? Whereas I'm not suited to that. I'm not suited to that style of boxing. So it's it's just about it's about making sense now what I'm doing and not just going after the dream.
4: Is this your first well, year? Sorry, just, oh, sorry. sorry. Back,
1: to, back to what you said there on like the whole me backing myself, getting to the Olympics um, and really, really investing myself. This is where I... I sort of, I'm similar to a lot of people that's living on the East Coast of America. I'm talking about the Irish community. So these have all backed themselves and they've emigrated to a different country. I'll be doing something similar and they can see themselves in my story. So that's why I think I'm going to be a big hit on the East Coast. one of the reasons.
4: For sure. Like, I mean, is that the thing that's, motivating you, I mean is it the, the sense of getting over there and and being a success in the United States of America. Is that is that a, a huge carrot for you as as much as everything else in terms of the sporting success as well?
1: Yeah, so like I also as I said, I think like a lot of the people in New York will recognise my story and they have similarities to it. Um I went over in November for three weeks just to, to see if I liked the place and see if I grew on with the people and straight away I knew this is a place that I can I can make a future and it's a place that I can get people to back me and I can get I can get the whole Irish community behind me and um, I think we can start some sort of movement over there because there hasn't really been, as I said there hasn't really been an Irish an Irish boxer that has lived there full time um, not in not in the last 10 10 years anyway um and they are crying out for that so I do I, I think it's going to be a real real success and I think having Matrium on board that like you are such a major influence in boxing can really really start that off
4: Have you eyed up potential opponents for the end of April?
1: Um That would be down to Matrium as I said I'll be making my debut I'm not going to be fighting a superstar in my first fight the way professional boxing goes is you might have one or two um I say easier opponents at the start. Mm. But then again, as I said, I'm 30, so I wanna be I wanna hit the ground running and after maybe three or four fights really start facing stiff competition.
4: We've seen on social media as well that Barry Keoghan uh offering to walk you out on the night. So you've got pretty high profile support.
1: Yeah, so like you're talking about Barry Keoghan, um one of Ireland's leading actors um starred in the Marvel films, which is one of the most successful franchises in the world. So even by having him there, you're, you're getting a new audience to the show that might not have been there. You're getting, because Marvel's is huge around around worldwide, you're going to, you're basically showing the Kate Taylor Bill to a new audience. And then on top of Barry Keoghan, if I have him walking out, I'm sure I can get a top of, top warriors, artists, the singers out to the ring as well. So it'll be a real show and uh, something that not many people have done on their debut. As you can see from the way I'm talking, I'm very, very ambitious in the way that I'm thinking. And I think, like, if Matt are looking at this, they're saying, well, this guy is offering us something different. He's very, very ambitious. He's not just talking about fighting. He's talking about bringing the show along with him and getting a whole community of people behind him
4: how much does it inspire you the other stories that have come out of Ireland in the recent past and the likes of Matchroom have been head over heels for like I mean I'm just thinking of like even the, the Eric Donovan story like I mean after he was beaten what was it last summer maybe December before I get the years mixed up and Eddie Hearn was just glowing in his praise of Eric Donovan as a man and as a boxer afterwards that there is a huge market out there for stories like yours for stories that people around the world will uh, take and, and look to root for as time goes on?
1: Yeah, like Eric, Eric especially to me is an inspiration mm. because obviously he has a backstory to himself and that's something that's very important when you're going professional as a boxer. You do need a backstory behind you because you want to be more than a fighter. You want to be a personality and you want people to recognise themselves in you so they can get behind you. And again, Eric went pro at a similar age to me and He's very older now but he's he's living a good healthy life and it shows that you can still have a a career into your mid to late 30s. um so he would be something that i would be i would be on my professional career off um and i keep in touch with eric Gregler. he's a he's a great person and he's an inspiration and like he's fighting now in the next few weeks and he has a again he has another chance to like if he wins this fight he's probably in contention near enough world level which is remarkable if you look at what he's done
4: for sure so what what happens next Emmett I mean hopefully over the next little while you do hear back from matchroom and, and the wheels get in motion but what will you be doing in terms of the things that you can control
1: yeah so I'm going off to New York for uh, for the training camp now in three weeks Um. So for the next three weeks, I'm sort of in general preparation. And then that will leave me eight weeks out from the potential fight that I want to be on. So then I really start to ramp training up. I'll, pick, I'll start sparring. Um, I'll be over in New York, hopefully. So I'll be getting around the Irish community and really trying to get a crowd behind me. Because um, realistically, for this fight, like, this fight sells itself like. I don't really need to sell tickets for this, but I want to show Matchroom the next show they can bring on the East Coast. I'm gonna have a huge crowd behind me. So f- for me, the thing is to get the word out in New York, and I'm looking at so much ideas in doing that. Um, as I said, I'm gonna have an artist background, um, like a background team behind me that have been very, very successful in New York, and have. Brilliant, brilliant uh, connections within the Irish American community over there. So, um, yeah, the next thing for me is get the word out in, on the east coast of America.
4: Just one last question, Emmett, and I think it plays into what you're just talking about there. How much has not so much has how, has your life changed, but how, how much has your perception of the support that you've got changed? post the Olympic Games last year because I've mentioned it a couple of times you've mentioned it a couple of times that, that that defeat to the Uzbek fighter in Tokyo the reaction to your interview afterwards was absolutely massive like did that change your perception of how much support there is out there for you and how much there will be there for you if this thing does happen in April
1: yeah um, so I've obviously pre-Tokyo I didn't actually realise like, the amount of people that one knew me and then two were actually supporting me and I think it's because I'm a normal person with a story behind me that people can sort of see themselves or maybe, maybe they're working a job that they don't like and they took inspiration from that to maybe go down a different career path. Like The support I've got, is honestly, it's been incredible. Um, like I'm still getting stopped on the street by people saying, well done, the Olympics, it, it was inspirational. And then online, I'm still getting like two, three, four messages a week of strangers saying, well done. Um, I heard you on such and such. Your story is inspirational to me. I really wish I could do that. Um, and in terms of what I've done, I basically changed the career pattern. I went for something. I went for my dream. It's something that everyone can recognize because everyone can do that. It's not like I've done something exceptional. I basically changed my focus to something that made me happy and something that gave me a goal and a vision. Um, as I said, it's something that every single person can do. You must be absolutely unbelievably delighted that you did make that decision and that you did take that leap. Yeah, I am because like I've made the decision roughly five to six years ago now. I, I haven't looked back Um I've got to experience some incredible things. I got to see some incredible places and meet some brilliant, brilliant people. Like the networking of people I have um, right now is unbelievable. I was talking to a friend last week and I said, "I don't have, I don't have much money, but I'm rich with the people that I know and the people that I have around me." And I truly believe that um, I'm so, so lucky. But I wouldn't have having this. I wouldn't have all this at, at me feet if I didn't make that change.
4: let we wish you all the best I presume social media is best place for people to follow you to, to keep track of how this progresses over the
1: next few weeks yeah and like I just want to say thanks to everyone that's shared that shared like it's um, over the last few days I've got so much backing and so many people text me saying look I really really hope you get this and I think they're very sincere about it and. So many people tagging Eddie Hearn, tagging matchroom, Um It's unbelievable. And I'm just going to keep up on it because um, the kind of person I am is, if I'm going after something, I'm going after 100%. And as I said, I offer Matchroom something going forward. It's not I'm not asking to be on the show because I'm already and an Olympian. I'm asking to be on the show because I really, really believe I offer them something going forward. I offered them something on the east coast of America which they haven't really tapped into yet. If you haven't had an Irish boxer consistently fighting on the east coast that lives over there, um, it's a market that I think they can tap into. And maybe if they have me there, they can bring in fighters in maybe five, six, seven years and they can keep this tradition going for the next 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. Well but- it's, sorry, yeah, it's something that can, can really help propel match room on the east coast of America we're in the Irish community
4: Emmett, we wish you all the best over the next little while good luck with the training and hopefully things come Brilliant. together for thanks the end for of April
1: thanks for having me on
4: cheers Emmett Brennan there uh, Irish Olympian on the line it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out over the next little while April 30th is uh, the date of that card in Madison Square Garden it's going to be a massive night and hopefully for a a number of different levels right we're going to be joined by Manchester City underage coach Jamie Carr after this break but during that break we'll just get a quick taste of Keith Wood on Monday Night Rugby
3: OTB (laughs) AM
4: Kenny Cunningham is not repeating himself, he said. We just had a great chat off air, which we're going to do on air once again, because we've got uh, Jamie Carr, Academy coach at Manchester City with us in studio. Jamie, how are you getting on? Yeah, really good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. So you're here to talk about football, which you will get to in a moment. But most importantly, the incredible challenges that you're undertaking this year. So... If you haven't heard about this, so you are currently training for the Marathon de sab in the Sahara Desert. It's described as the toughest foot race on Earth. That's at the end of March. And then in December 2022, because that's not enough, you're going to be taking part in a race across the Atlantic Ocean, rowing alone, and unsupported. So you're going to be covering more than 3,000 miles from La Gomera on the Canary Islands all the way over to Antigua. And you're doing all these challenges in support of Cancer Fund for Children, which is a charity which supports children with a cancer diagnosis in Ireland and their families. The charity is fundraising at the moment to build a second therapeutic centre in Kong County Mayo, and they need to raise over 12 million euro to do so. Just first of all, before we get into the challenges, why have you picked this charity? How close is it to your heart and, and, and the work they do looks absolutely incredible
0: yeah so i I kind of stumbled across cancer fund for children um online and um straight away i was just drawn into the great work they do some of the videos and stuff that i've seen on their website and then having gone to visit daisy lodge and seen the great work they do it's just been phenomenal and um they're supporting so many people across ireland and the need for the second short break center is there so uh, we're doing everything we can now at the moment to fundraise and um and help them get where they need to get to for the second facility. As I say, the end of March is when you do the marathon, they sab. Where is the training at at the moment? (laughs) The training is going well. Um, I completed probably the longest run I'm going to do in training last weekend, which was 53K. So uh, I've got the next month to sort of keep ticking along and add in some more big mileage weeks, but uh, probably nothing as as big as that. So I'm feeling like I'm in a good place and uh, the key now is just make sure you stay injury free in the lead up to the next sort of uh, three or four weeks. What is the program of the race? So it's essentially 250 kilometres spread over six days. So you have more or less a marathon a day until you get to day four. And then on day four, it goes crazy and you do a double marathon. So you get through day four, which is the big sort of hurdle. And then after that, you have one more marathon and then you get your medal and you're done. What kind of temperatures,
3: Jamie? I'm getting like, I'm getting dizzy even uh, listening to you. Talk. what kind of temperatures are we talking about? I imagine they're pretty consistent. You can hang your hat in terms of what you're going to be experiencing over the course of those six days. What, what are you looking at? Yeah,
0: it's crazy. So last year, I think they registered like 55 to 58 degrees, which is... Fahrenheit,
3: Fahrenheit. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> so, um, yeah,
3: it's Jeez. hard to get your head around. Because how do you... You've you got a full-time... Sorry, I'm taking over uh-huh. now. You've got a full-time job. Uh, you're getting your training in, but surely the, in terms of you need to immerse yourself in that, those kind of conditions you need to be trained in that for a significant amount of time surely can't just drop yourself into that for for the period of six days when you've been running up the the m6 or m56 (laughs) around
0: manchester or whatever like you know what i mean yeah 100 percent. luckily enough man city have provided me with their heat chamber so i can get somewhat acclimatized before i go out there really but yeah i've been working in the heat chamber at about 40 degrees at the moment and that's tough so I've got another nice colour there I'll say that like it has, <laughs> has that on, isn't yeah. <laughs> nice little spin off <laughs> nice little spin off yeah, <laughs> nice exactly. really and that's, and that's getting you where you need, you need to be yeah there's going to be a certain level of unknowns and that you just can't prepare for because the humidity out there and all sorts and just the conditions you're not going to be able to replicate like sand dunes and all sorts so so you're doing what you San can Jones camels you can't replicate camels can you <laughs> no okay. exactly Manchester either like yeah <laughs> yeah no the British winter is not a good training uh, venue for the Sahara Desert do you ever see on the training pitch the the, the
3: the guys actually think no oh, you're a, a coach at Manchester City or just that fellow who heads into the tank every morning for yeah. six hours
0: yeah that lunatic they see. yeah that's about it I was at, yeah exactly so the odd person comes in and out of the heat chamber and they're probably thinking who is this crazy guy but yeah time Jamie I mean do you have a do you have a spare do you have time do you have time to yourself for personal anything does anything else exist outside of your work and your you're training well this is a big hobby of mine doing these sort of adventures doing these challenges so um, it's a hobby but one thing I'm, I'm learning at the moment is running a campaign is almost a full time job on it's own in terms of looking for sponsors driving fundraising so yeah. it's kind of like I've got my day job with City Academy I've then got the training which is my part time job and then I've got running a campaign on top of that so yeah it's all fun and games whereabouts are you whereabouts in the Sahara does the race take place So basically you fly to Morocco and then they drive you six hours into the Sahara Desert in the middle of nowhere, which you don't get told where. And then on on, on that day they'll tell you right from here on you're now doing X amount of kilometres in this direction and uh, that will be your finish mark. And it changes each year, each time, so you don't know how long you're doing or exactly where you're going. So it's hard to prepare really. It's an unbelievable mental challenge yeah it's going to be tough um, yeah and dealing with the conditions it, I'm not doing it to break any records or anything like that it's more of a race just to, to, to survive and push myself really and uh, and test myself and I'm really looking forward to that sort of day four where it's 85 kilometres I know it sounds crazy but uh, that's the day where you'll learn a lot about yourself I can imagine
3: many right. runners sorry, uh, is there a team of uh, many people are it's just yeah. yourself no <laughs> no it's a race this, this, oh, it's this a proper is a race, race. it right.
0: happens every year I think there would be about 400 people do it each year from all over the world right good yeah 400 lunar so yeah it should be fun it helps
3: doesn't it I'd imagine Jamie (laughs) (laughs) mentally it helps having that seeing bodies people alongside you as opposed to I would have thought doing it by yourself in solitude is absolutely yeah well just having people there
0: and pushing yourselves like day in day out they say that in some ways it's great to have the 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 people around you to push it but on the other hand when you see other people in like dropping out it can be also a negative yeah just dropping down the sides of those sand dunes yeah just going really down and down (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) the one thing that
4: is probably not very communal whatsoever is going to be when you hop into a boat then later this year and try and Row across the Atlantic. Has the training started for that yet, or are you just waiting till the marathon is done?
0: Good question. Esen- <laughs> essentially, the funny thing is, and every time I tell people this, they laugh. I've never set foot in the rowing boat before in my life. I've never rowed a stroke in my life, and I oh. still haven't got my boat yet. My boat's arriving in a couple ah, of weeks. Come on, time. Jane. Come on. <laughs> so- <laughs> now, seriously, <laughs> is, there, is there anything that
4: you are you on the rowing machine at least? Or? Uh,
0: yeah, I did a solid six month block on the row machine about. A year ago and then since then it's just been focused on the run and then once i get this run done then we're uh, we're into full-on training for the row so is it fair to say you've kind of compartmentalized it? you haven't thought of that mental challenge yet and what that entails yeah i'm just trying to give the marathon to sab the respect it deserves because it's yeah. a really tough race i don't want to, like the row is the big one but if i take my eye off the ball on that one i might not make it so it's really important to focus on this one and then i have six months to 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 really learn to row and get myself familiarised with the boat. What part of the row, other than the physical stuff, are you perhaps
4: least looking forward to? Like, what do you think will be the, the biggest challenge about being out there for so long?
0: Yeah, so people often say like being out there for two or three months on your own will be really difficult. That might be difficult. I don't know because who, who's ever done that? Spend that much time alone? I don't know. Um, it's probably because I'm not experienced in the ocean. I've got no maritime experience. Things like my first storm. Like trusting the boat that it's going to get through this. Yeah. Those sort of moments where you're like, well, this is ropey." Um, it's all the sort of unknowns with the ocean. I'm sort of not comfortable with yet. Like you have to jump in in the water and clean the bottom of the boat every week or so. Otherwise, like you well, got to do chores as well. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah. God's sake. So it's <laughs> I, I don't I'm not a fan of sharks. So if I see a shark and then they're expecting me to jump in and clean that boat, there's uh, there's no chance. Yeah. <laughs>
4: uh, like I mean, there's obviously a, a very very good cause for why you're doing this. Is there something inside in your own head about proving to yourself that you can do these two things in the same year on top of the brilliant for charity that you're
0: doing? Uh, yeah, I suppose it's just the, the, the whole element of challenge. Yeah, I, I really love challenges. Like I've done loads of small little challenges over the last few years, and, which give me a purpose in the mornings when I wake up. This is what I'm working towards, um, which I lost when I finished playing football. So, yeah, these challenges give me that, and they keep me on track, and uh, they keep me focused and, uh, and driven, really. So... Yeah, that's sort of what's driving me to, to get them done. Where can people follow your journey and donate? Yeah, so uh, the com is my website. Um, the Nothing Ventured Campaign on uh, Instagram as well. And there's a donate page there if, if anyone would like to do so. And I'm still actively looking for sponsors to come on board as well to help me get to where we need to get to for, for uh, Cancer Fund for Children as well. So any support will be massively appreciated.
4: Brilliant. And we'll tweet out links to, to those as well on our social media pages. Jamie, just you mentioned there the football career, that looking for a new challenge after that uh, stopped. So can you tell us through, talk us through your, your own playing background?
0: Yeah, so uh, fairly unglamorous, to be honest. Played in the League of Ireland. The club. Yeah, the the club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, uh, played League of Ireland. And then when I was so, sort of in my early 20s, I realised that I'm not going to be able to have a sustainable career here. What was your schoolboy club, Jamie? I'm going to dig
3: in here. Where uh, play Port Marnock. Port Marnock. Is yeah. that where you're... Uh, Promenade Malahoy,
0: thats where yeah. you are. I live in Oil, yeah. So I got you, like yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: North Northside's on the up <laughs> yeah. I've had this conversation before. I've told you, and North Strand,
0: <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah, all, all Northside. It's li- all happening. It's happening. I live
0: Northside, so I mean we're, we're in good company here, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so did that, and then um, uh, got the opportunity to go to India and work for Reading in the middle of nowhere in the Himalaya mountains. So, I took a gamble and went for that, and then, on the back of doing six months out there, they offered me a full time job in the academy um, and I spent sort of five years at Reading before then moving to to Manchester city.
4: Does that come as a result of coaching are you doing coaching badges are, are you, are you, are you, how do you work your way into a point where reading wants you to go and coach abroad?
0: yeah, so I'd done sort of my coaching badges previously um before I went to England, so right. um I went to i t Carlo uh, and I did a lot of my coaching badges there which was which was which was brilliant um. But yeah, so they're important, but uh, it's sort of learning on the job. You learn a hell of a lot more than those coaching badges, that's for sure. What was the point of Reading having coaches in India? Good question. Um, still don't know the full answer to that other than um, we got sent to the northeast, which is on the Himalayas and the border of China. So uh, very different to coaching England. Like You're just coaching disadvantaged children that had right. next to nothing. Which sort of links into why I'm doing these challenges now and supporting children's charities, because I saw the impact that such small things can have on children. So, um, yeah, long story short, but yeah, I ended up in India, six months there with no Wi-Fi, no internet, totally different way of life. Um, Food, how to manage? I was interested... Yeah, no, the heady belly and all that. How did you manage? Yeah, I, I got that. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> first time I've ever uh, projectile vomited was in India, so yeah, um, no, it was crazy. You better get used to that before you get in the boat at the, at the end of the year. Yeah, oh, sea and all that. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Life experience is
3: uh, is unbelievable. Isn't it? How old are you now, Jamie? 30 30 Scary, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? You don't look back obviously, obviously very much in terms of what's ahead and you know plowing ahead and stuff, but. Amazing, amazing life story so far. Fair play to you. feel yeah. a bit, uh, feel a bit, uh, feel a bit humbled.
0: <laughs> uh,
3: what about yourself? No, I'm feeling humble. You definitely must be feeling oh, 100%, a bit humble. You're closer to childhood.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's a weird one. Uh, that point that you made there about, uh, I guess, trying that that trip to India sparks something in you that you want to try and do something good with your career. You want to try and give back a little bit, like. Uh, what, what do you see how does that change is a penny in when you're on that trip to india or you're not a trip to india when you're literally working in india and, and immersing yourself there or is that something that you always had w- would you always have done something like this or is that actually quite a, a pivotal moment in your own career
0: yeah i suppose that sparked the interest in helping children mm. um, and then when i got my full-time job working with kids day to day who are trying to achieve their dreams and helping them along that journey you, you do, it's, it's extremely rewarding and you get a nice feeling and And I do feel like we're all important role models for the next generation and we need to lead and and do things in the right way. Um, And if I can help a few children along the way while doing some things I really want to do, well, well, brilliant. And, And that's sort of where I'm at now. How does Manchester City come up? Um, he was headhunted. Yeah, of course. You only course. take
3: the best, Manchester City, we know that. Very good point. Good agent. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, uh, end up just applying for the job there and uh, yeah, got it. And four years later, still here. Um, and hopefully, it's a brilliant place to work. It's one of the best academies in England and, and even across the world. So uh, what a place to learn. What a place to, to be surrounded by the best players and also the best the coaches as well. So brilliant environment and you learn so much every day which is just an absolute privilege you're probably best suited to the kind
3: of academy if you mentioned obviously on a a bigger level you enjoy working with younger children giving them obviously a bit of leadership giving them a bit of direction and stuff like that so no real ambition in terms of being you know, the next order senior manager or or progressing along that kind of career path you're kind of happy in the environment that you're in in the academy working with younger players and kind of developing younger players is that you kinda of how you see yourself potentially going forward or partly anyway.
0: Yeah, so I miss the competitive element of football as oh, well. Right. Well, like growing up in Ireland it's all about winning, isn't it? And competition and every weekend that's what it's all about. And when you go to England in the academy system it's very different. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um so I do miss that and that's ah. the spark that I do miss from playing and once you get to sort of eighteens up in England, you competition comes back in. Yeah. So I would like to get back to sort of that at some stage, but I'm in no rush. I'm loving what I'm doing, so whenever that happens that will happen. Um okay. but I'm, I'm yeah. not I'm not in a race.
4: what age group are you mostly working with in the academy?
0: So I do the under fourteens at the academy here and in Reading I did sort of broad spectrum of teenagers twelve to sixteens. So um yeah.
4: You say that there's no competitiveness until you get over the age of eighteen there. Is that a little bit at odds with the idea of an academy in the first place that you the kids that are there are possibly there to, you know, maybe from their parents' perspectives to get a contract one day. So how do you manage to maintain that level of fun? while also maintaining the fact that this is a pretty serious academy on, on a holistic sense.
0: Yeah, well, I think we all, we all can get carried away at times thinking, right, we're working at Man City, we're, we're working with the best players. But also it's these kids' hobby as well. They're still kids at this stage. So um, you can never lose sight of the fact that it is children playing football at the moment. Yes, they're trying to pursue a career in the game, but they're not there yet. So fun is always an important element of every training session, of, of every part of it. Um, but then it's just drip feeding the little bit more seriousness as it starts becoming a career and and um, things become a little bit more serious. Because inevitably there's some big decisions that always happen at under-16s in the academy journey. Mm. And that's when people either get a shock or they get that sort of big boost and step up to the next level. Kids must hate your uh, warm-ups. 16, 16 <laughs> kilometre <laughs> warm-ups in the exactly, heat chamber exactly,
3: exactly 18 times around the training ground I've seen about two hours lads warm yourselves up
4: Manchester City going to the fittest academy in about five or six years time is, is, is the academy at, at that age dipping into all areas of the world has scouting begun at, the, at that age or is it more localised
0: Uh, Well, traditionally, uh, it would have been a lot of Europe. European players would have been scouted, but now that Brexit's happened, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for the English academy system. Um, I know at 16s and up, we used to recruit quite heavily from Spain and other countries like that. However, I don't know if that's going to be possible now. Um, And obviously, we're seeing a lot of Irish players, young Irish players, now going to Italy and the likes of that. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out, but. Uh, certainly, national recruitment in the UK is something that takes place sort of from 12 to 16 at City and a lot of the other top clubs in, in England.
3: So do you reckon that'd be even more concentrated now, Jamie, clearly for the reasons that you've said? I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, to be honest with you. I get a little bit quite excited about the prospect of, and I've got an Irish perspective, but in terms of, right, just a focus shift now in terms of let's get the best players from Europe as opposed to, right, let's broaden out in terms of the surrounding area. You know, 50 miles from Manchester, where's the best kids? Yeah. You know, let's invest in these. Well, he mightn't be ideally what we're looking for, but he's all we've got. Let's let's work with him. Let's try and improve him to the less where Jamie comes in let's get the best and prove these players so a lot more kind of localised I I think that's quite exciting
0: Mm. yeah it it will still be national recruitment but yeah uh, yeah, like you said it will only be UK based and potentially anyway it'll be interesting to see how Brexit plays out and how you much don't see too it. many of the London boys come up come the road with into Manchester that won't
3: play down too well will it you know what actually with it's the start,
0: Manchester supporters it's, more, it's happening more and more because the North West is just such a competitive environment for signing players yeah. you've got Liverpool United course, yeah. all the clubs so yeah they're starting to branch out and get players from, from all over the country now which is, which is interesting um,
4: what, what a, like, obviously Manchester City have done unbelievable work in building that academy over the last little while what other clubs do you look at enviously, or obviously? I mean, maybe you don't look at anybody enviously, but what are the other clubs have really good academy setups at the moment?
0: Yeah, so the one, the, the big clubs that you, you'd probably um, know yourselves, like um, Chelsea's a very good academy, Liverpool, Man United—they're all good academies—and then you've got sort of the 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 ones below that that are pushing as well, like Brighton's and stuff are on mm-hmm. the way up. Southampton and, traditionally yeah, have, yeah, yeah. yeah so. Uh, previously, when I was working at Reading, they were quite good at producing players. Not
3: anymore, not anymore, James. Are oh, you saying standards have dropped the last uh, four or five years
0: for exactly. obvious reasons? Yeah, exactly.
4: <laughs> for, for, from what you're hearing there, Kenny, if you could turn the clocks back as a 14-year-old oh, going to this academy, would would you take I that? I wish I had brought
3: Jamie in this morning. Really <laughs> I was reasonably comfortable with me, lot You know, from 20 to 35 before Jamie came in this morning that rattling off his, uh, his achievements how how do you think he would have got on in, under Jamie oh as a as a coach yeah. no as a he would have got a bit on me as a young player he yeah. would have got a, a bit um, I would have responded to that he's obviously very uh, competitive very uh, I wouldn't say uh, kind of demanding but kind of um, just his own kind of mentality I think I would have uh, re- responded to that even in terms of what he's committed to off the pitch that, I would have found that I would have been kind of drawn to that however the, the other side, authority, he's the last coach I would have wanted. <laughs> 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 I'll look at The very you. large i have been mean, totally boxed off to him in terms of uh, most of what he was saying. But, no, I think, it's, I think life experience is a big thing, actually. Just listen to you there, Jamie. You're talking about young Ordish players, Brex and all that type of thing. So now Ordish or players um, will, rather than that, convey a bell to England, lower division, English sides... Might be a little bit more imaginative now in terms of players that go to maybe Scotland, etc. But Europe, maybe Belgium, France, Scandinavia, these might be options now for young Ireland players. And I think in a funny way, people might initially think, oh dear, oh dear, it's almost a step down. But I kind of see it a little bit differently. I never had that experience. I don't have too many regrets. I don't don't look back. But I do do think, when I do look back, was there any stage in my career, I never thought that way, where well, I could have thought maybe taking a big sidestep you know maybe thought of maybe a couple of years abroad experiencing something different a different type of football different country different language different culture how that would have affected me like not necessarily earning necessarily a lot more money so I think young Irish players putting themselves uh, going down that particular road I think that could help them in a load of different ways not just in terms of their football development but actually as people in terms of their mindset what they're seeing what they're experiencing a bit like you've done in terms of that trip to India and you're saying that was a pivotal moment for you in terms of visually what you saw, how it affected you. Obviously you had that within you anyway, don't get me wrong. But those type of things I think are very interesting. I think that could be very exciting for a lot of orders players, you know, in terms of being pushed into these other areas, maybe in continental Europe and different experiences. I think potentially that could be a very good thing and a load of different mm-hmm. not just purely through that narrow lens in terms of purely your football and development, is gonna make you a better player. I think a lot of things come into it. You'll know better than me. What makes you a better player? Mindset, psychology—you know how you are, how you develop, how you mature—you know all of those things. I think make you a better player, but also a person as well. Because most, you've got to live most of your life. You know, we've, we all finished at 35 years of age. You have got
0: the rest of your life ahead of you, so you got to be—you got to be prepared for that as well. Mm, for sure, I think, it, 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 like you said, how how amazing would it be for a young Irish person now to end up in Italy or or anywhere across Europe now, and even further afield who knows what would happen but there's all sorts of brilliant experiences that could come from that even if you don't end up making it as a footballer because a lot of them won't and I think one of the big things I always try to say to young Irish lads going over is yes you want to dream and strive to be a professional footballer but there's also that realisation that it won't won't happen for everyone Um, and you can't just just hang your hat on on that I I I guess
4: you are working with kids who the vast majority of which won't actually get a professional contract
0: yeah, I, th- I think at Man City, actually, they probably all will. exception. Okay, probably the right. exception, okay, yeah, see, yeah. yeah. Is that right? Okay. But yeah. generally, yeah. Yeah, I'd say, I think... Yeah. W- Particularly yeah. working yeah. under Jamie
3: for a few <laughs> years. You know, Sorry. You know, he doesn't want to of say, course. oh, I've got to say it
0: for him. Of course. I've got to say yeah, it yeah. for him. <laughs> go ahead, Jamie, keep going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because, uh, yeah, I think most of the 16-year-olds that we um, either sign or release will will go on to still probably get a pro or at least a scholarship somewhere else. But for the young Irish lads, it can't can't be the all-or-nothing move. Because that will just crush them if it doesn't happen. So it's just sort of
3: give us a name. Any any couple of couple of lads over there down there. There's a couple chain. There's Yeah,
0: showing a, shown a bit, bit Giving a little bit of that Yeah, there's a couple Plenty of there's lip one, There's a few There's one that just went over To the Irish under 16s last week So we'll see how he gets on um, I don't yeah. expect the name dropping Maybe it puts a little bit Too much pressure Yeah Pressure on them But yeah, there's a couple A couple of lads there I've got a chance Yeah, exactly Exactly There's there's a couple of good ones um, And hopefully more soon as well You never know
4: Did he work with Lee Carsley For a while at the
0: academy Or did your times miss each other Yeah, missed each other He was he had left a year or two Before I arrived uh, Kennedy uh, he left the year I oh, arrived, yeah. As well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. Poacher turned gamekeeper.
0: Any any any
4: link up at all, or any uh, conversation with with first team coaches or anything like that?
0: Um, so basically, the academy's split in two, so you don't see them that often. Yeah. Um, however, you'll just see them in passing. They'll say hello, maybe. Um, there's a few players at the moment doing uh, their coaching badges at the moment so right. um, they come and work with the academy players sometimes as well which is good um, so so that's sort of how you see them more than anything you show right?
3: them how it's done like Gundogan comes over and you say yeah, just sit <laughs> yourself down there just just watch how
0: it's done yeah you've seen <laughs> that Dino, shh, bit of quiet I'm doing a session <laughs> now you put out the cons there <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah exactly thank you for a warm up yeah no they're, they're super respectful Yeah, is co- right, coaching yeah? is so different to playing and I think they understand that Nice. Um, it's a totally different kettle of fish. What's really interesting is that if you were coaching that same age group
4: in Ireland, you'd probably have quite a different outlook, or maybe your contemporaries now have a different outlook because, at underage level, at schoolboy football, it is very competitive, whereas you're coaching not towards co- competition but more towards, I guess, participation and self improvement. So, can Ireland learn a thing or two from the that academy mentality in the UK?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's that debate that we all talk about. Is it better to be that side with the competitiveness or this side where it's focused on development? I actually watched an Irish game on Sunday and I spent the first five minutes just laughing because it was just so different to what I'm used to where the parents on the sideline were really animated. You'd never see that. Um, the players and the managers were screaming at the referee you'd never see that <laughs> and I, I just couldn't get my head around it because I'd been over there for so long and not seen an Irish game and it was just it was players saying "I like, hook it and clear it. we just don't see those things as often which is brilliant
3: but there is that criticism sorry on jumping yeah. again in terms of the academy system it's been there for some time you're probably aware of and maybe too much of a sterile environment for players I've spoken to play, um people coaches and stuff even in terms of, you the know, 23 yeah. league over there and where's the point you, you instil that that will to win kind of win at all costs yes you're looking at player development you're looking to Im- improve players and you're, you're building towards something but the here and the now to actually win to have that mentality go onto the pitch and win at all costs and to kind of instil that into play, do young players still have that or is that kind of almost beating out them, or is not encouraged enough when they come into the system because a lot of the young kids as you know probably come in 7, 8, 9, 10 years of age mm. uh, they come in and if you're still being told the same things year in year oh, forget about winning the game don't worry about winning no it's about it's about you You getting better it's about the team team comes first the patterns of play this is what we've got to concentrate on the, you know, the win will come later don't worry about winning so much maybe uh, uh, too much of that whether potentially that's
0: that's the right thing and I find that very interesting no right or wrong you know what I mean how do you see it uh, yeah it's a, it's a massive debate personally I think we need to add more competition in and luckily at Man City because we go on so many trips abroad to these tournaments we actually get a decent level of competition yeah. however when I was at Reading we didn't because we couldn't afford to go on those trips and stuff like that So um, it's those tours and those experiences where you have to win as well that are vital. And I would actually say kids nowadays are just as competitive as we were growing up. Is that right? But, yeah. No, you but, don't
3: get a sense of that? Yeah, you no. Still, you
0: still, I, I still see that, particularly when they are just asking, when's the next cup game, lads? When's, yeah. the, when's the next tour we're going yes. on? Because that's the highlight for them, the, the chance that they can go and showcase on in the, in the moments of pressure and go and win a trophy. So, yeah, the, I totally agree. It's a, it, it, sometimes you look at under 23 games in England and you're like, this is miles away from what the first team looks like.
3: Well, let me ask you this. Talking about stray jacking uh, players, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Do you think to a certain extent coaches can be put well, have the straitjacket put on them in the Academy, particularly at a club like Manchester City, where you get a sense of correct me if I'm wrong in terms of how every team plays from the fourth team down through the academy, everybody has to play the same way and you would be as a coach you would be dictated to in terms of how you set up your team to play the type of information you're giving players the type of patterns of play that you're not almost encouraged but you're actually dictated to that you have to roll out onto the trainer pitch is that the case You think that's a good thing in terms of like um, coach development in terms of improving you as a coach rather than being in an environment where forced force managers say well your team set them up as you want play
0: as you want mm. play whatever system you want style of play yeah. it's up to you well, it's amazing, because um, there's a famous quote at the start of Moneyball that says, it's a, it's amazing how much you don't know about the game you've played your whole life. And when I went to Man City, that was what it was like, because their style and the, and the detail that they go into in terms of the, the 433, mm. it just blew me away, if I'm totally honest. Yeah. And I learned so much, I'm still learning so much. So um, that was really interesting. But also, there's plenty of freedom within the framework to create your own sessions, do whatever you want to do, um, as long as you're working alongside the syllabus and the philosophy so uh, I, it's been extremely beneficial for me for sure because like i said i've just learned so much
4: that, that's really interesting because i think obviously kenny you're speaking from a, a place of knowledge there but i think the rest of us probably aren't quite aware of what exists there so there's there's like a, a blueprint this is how this is the manchester city way essentially
0: yeah so there's a there's an academy um curriculum and, and philosophy that this is how we want to play across all the age groups and this is what it should look like yeah and what did you learn about the 433 then Oh, they're all the hidden secrets I'm not allowed to talk about. <laughs> Blue one. Well, if I get any sense to him, he's just free of forget <his stride> <laughs> he it straight
3: away. i one here now with You're the sure. other football experts oh, like dear. Kenny has <laughs> learned.
0: Oh, dear. Unless you has got a slither or something. We'll need forget to get the tactics it. board out, I think. <laughs> <Splitter>. <laughs> uh,
4: fascinating stuff. So, like, I mean, uh, over the next little while like it, it, are you in your happy place at the moment is is it a sense that like listen I'd, I'd love to kind of progress through this academy or or how, how do you see things going career wise
0: yeah certainly I'd love to progress through the academy and like I said I'd love to work in competitive football one day whatever that'll look like whether that's a coach or assistant who knows um, but this year I'm fully focused on my challenges because this is uh, it's going to be a hell of a year an exciting year Remind, sorry Kenny do you have healthy stick yeah well Surely
3: <laughs> You're going to run It's not that it's Consider what you're doing
0: Lightweight selfie stick So we can all yeah. Follow you Surely 100% percent Tune into all that There's actually room on the boat For one more Kenny If you fancy it <laughs> You don't want me on that boat Would you <laughs> Mentally
3: Mentally That would be too much for you
0: <laughs> <laughs> And I
3: wouldn't be cleaning At the bottom of the boat either uh, Jamie
4: remind us How people can
0: find out more information and and donate as well so com for anyone that would love to donate that would be that would be super and uh, campaign on Instagram for anyone that wants to follow the journey see what my training looks like um, and uh, and follow see me see what you look like with your top <laughs> off the home hey jelly me be looking a million dollars home <laughs> 100%
4: Yeah Well good luck with that uh, Training Good luck with social media You've got a new follower Here anyway uh, Somebody's going to be watching All of the selfie stick
3: I'm going to try I'm going to Wouldn't be my thing now wouldn't be Jay, I'm going to try yeah, Oh you've prompted him Find me in the right direction Prompted him to be calm, Why can't we follow him on the show Surely you can pop him up For five minutes You're for that Most 100%. Mondays are
4: 100% Yeah he Get you on between marathons And uh, between days of rowing Or whatever The weight maybe. drops
3: He gets more gaunt <laughs> as, the, as the weeks go on We'll be saying Yeah you look great Jade. goes off air, we would be saying looks dreadful don't he oh, the oh god there he's, he's a shadow that the man was in the studio
4: <laughs> take a picture of that now and after it'll be a very different man <laughs> the town will be gone I can tell you that much uh, you've been listening to Jamie Carr he is uh, an academy coach with Manchester City and has got a fairly busy 2022 ahead to say the least uh, OTB AM has been brought to you this morning by Gillette good morning start with Gillette put your best face forward with the new and improved razors thanks a million for coming in Jamie really appreciate it uh, here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio today from uh, one o'clock we got OTB Gold which is Barry Ryan talking about his book The Ascent the dad cast is coming up at 3 o'clock a career retrospective with Matt Holland at 4 o'clock and then the life and times of Johnny Kilban the boxer is the story on OTB Gold at 6 o'clock
3: I better get a mention Mattie Holland, four o'clock. I'll be disappointed if I don't. Tune in. Find out OT- I'm, You've got to
4: be prompting at least. I'm sure you've got the OTB sports app downloaded on your phone, Kenny, you can find out for yourself
3: at four o'clock. He looked after me as well, Matt, bit of a screen in front with lad matt good lad. <laughs> that, that ties <laughs> the in whole show together, nicely He nice was feet. sick of the sound of my voice as well, at the end of his international career. If, you know that? if you're looking for more content and all that
4: goodness about screening the relationships between <laughs> midfielders and the, and the defenders, scroll back to the top of the show, some great stuff from Kenny Cunningham. Tomorrow morning, Kenny's not in, but we'll try our best to make it up for you. We've uh, got Joey Carberry. With us, we'll have Champions League reaction and much more.
3: OTB
1: AM. With Gillette, put your best face forward with our new and improved razors.